Hello and welcome to Instant Transmission, a podcast where we discuss everything Dragon Ball and why being an android seems kind of awesome. The big one continues with our discussion of the Terminator Power Part 2, covering episodes 106 until the very end at episode 131. So get ready to strap yourselves in as this discussion is going to go the distance tonight. I'm your host, Dayton, and once again, I'm joined by my co-host, Todd. Hi! Uh, the rules are the same as part one, as we're going to try and keep things with the episodic stuff kind of short and concise, focusing on the points that we think are the most relevant. However, with 26 episodes to discuss, don't expect this to be a short one. Uh, was there anything you wanted to mention before we get things rolling, Todd? I just briefly, before we dive into the actual story arc here, I wanted to talk a little bit, since we haven't touched on it yet, about the openings and endings for the Tournament of Power because the endings themselves change a lot. Uh, now, the only reason I haven't brought this up yet is because I honestly, a lot of the endings I wasn't really blown away by. Uh, most of them aren't terribly memorable, in my opinion, um, especially because some of them that we've been watching in the dub have the music is changed or they do like an English cover for the music, which I think is just not as good as the original Japanese um, there was one that kind of stuck out to me throughout the Tournament of Power as they've been changing, where they show Kid Goku in his original Dragon Ball gi, his blue gi with his power pole, and it shows him running, and it shows him kind of grow up into adult Goku that we see today. And I just kind of liked the the scene and the image of that. Um, but did you have any thoughts about any of the openings or endings, Dayton? No, but I will comment on the the... Goku kind of growing up towards the end, it's, I mean, it, I think it fits perfectly with Super because Super is very much about nostalgia, if you ask me, and kind of having that little timeline running through at the end, it just, it felt appropriate. It seemed like it really fit there. Yeah, yeah, I would definitely agree. Also, the opening for the Tournament of Power doesn't really change much uh, outside of them swapping Boo out in the opening for Frieza. But uh, I do have to say, I think the opening is... Probably the best opening in Super. Uh, the music is great. The visuals are good. Um, probably the best Super opening, in my opinion. I, I think it gets my blood pumping, and it's super fun. So it, it gives my stamp of approval, that's for sure. Yeah, awesome. That's all I wanted to talk about with those. Just touch on those briefly. So, Dayton, why don't we go ahead and dive into the first episode that we're covering tonight? Yeah, that's going to be episode 106. Figure it out. Deathmatch against an unseen attacker. And this episode begins with Gohan and Piccolo getting pinned down by a sniper who uses looks like little crystals or something to shoot fighters from out of sight using some sort of redirection. And, uh, well, during this episode, uh, Piccolo loses an arm. Yeah, I was kind of chuckling to myself because we talked about this before we were recording, and I have a note. Piccolo loses arm here, so <laughs> <laughs> I think he gets it blasted off or something at some point. He does, yes. So Piccolo, uh, he gets blasted, loses an arm, gets blasted, I think loses an arm again. Um, <laughs> yeah, so it's at this point, it's just kind of a, a funny little thing that I noticed is that Piccolo, and only Piccolo, and other Namekians seem to lose arms in uh, Super, but, you know, you, uh, you can't win them all. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about that more, too, later, because it continues to happen. <laughs> yeah, and we get kind of a little investigation into this sniper character, and it turns out to be two fighters working together one who re is able to redirect and uh like kind of scout out enemies and shoot them from anywhere and another fighter who's actually using energy to give it 
to this other fighter so that way he can send it out. So it's kind of a two-team tandem, one who shoots and one who redirects. Right. And this kind of turns into basically Gohan and Piccolo get pinned down by the the sniper team and Tien, Goku and Vegeta kind of jump in to help figure this out. Uh, and I think it's uh, Vegeta and Goku kind of like attack what they think is the guy shooting and it ends up being the guy redirecting. Uh, and then uh, Tien is the one who kind of goes off to solve this problem, going after the actual sniper. Yeah, and he, once figuring out the kind of the location of them, he uses his uh, multi-form technique, which is something that I don't think we've seen in a while and dates all the way back to original Dragon Ball, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it does. And we get to see him kind of using the the additional forms as kind of a, I guess, a shield against the sniper fire. It's kind of a way for him to close the distance. Yeah, sure, some of the forms are going to be picked off, but at least one of them is going to cover that ground. It's pretty cool. It's it's uh it's neat to see an old school technique brought back in and see it used in a tactical way in the tournament. And it it pays off. It it gets Tien to the sniper. Uh basically he has the sniper uh I mean he's ready to knock the sniper off and the sniper ends up I think blasting the ground at their feet to uh take Tien away. Uh, knock Tien out of the arena, and then Tien's one of Tien's multi-forms ends up grabbing the sniper and then leaping off with him. So Tien doesn't go off by himself, at least. Yeah, he takes the sniper down with him. The The other member of the tandem, I'm pretty sure, gets uh, like rocks and stuff thrown at them by uh, Goku and Vegeta. <laughs> I forgot about that. I think Vegeta ends up blasting him off as like the last thing, uh, the last yeah. beat for that guy. <laughs> so you get all the side characters kind of working on something, and then Goku and Vegeta just kind of throw rocks and win the day as well. So it's everybody gets a win, I guess. Yeah. I, I mean, TN fans might not be super happy about this. I don't know. He doesn't. He, he at least takes one guy out, but I'm pretty sure that's the only guy he took out, if I remember right. Yeah, it's honestly, it almost felt like a situation that was more or less designed from the ground up just to give Tien something to do. I didn't really find the sniper pair very thrilling or exciting, and the characters are kind of forgettable and just, I don't know. I wanted a little bit more. I like the I like it when they try and think outside the box and a character who redirects energy, comboing with a guy who... Didn't I don't think he had any special moves. He just kind of fired energy. I'm not sure what else the guy had outside of that. Long range firing energy, as far as I understand. But yeah, I, I kind of agree. I I like that they did give them some kind of unique abilities for the extra characters. And then Tien got to do something tactical. But yeah, it was I mean, it wasn't anything crazy special. Yeah, so that more or less wraps up that episode and that brings yeah. us into uh episode 107 revenge f a cunning trap set um and this one starts off with jiren and the pride warriors getting ambushed by some sort of slime warrior and we get to see that the slime warrior is actually pretty powerful because he's a able to actually kind of trick dispo who's already proven to be a fairly powerful warrior and kind yeah. of catch him up and pin him and trap him and this is when Jiren steps in. And of course, Slime Warrior was going out. I'm not even going to mention his name because he doesn't matter. Slime Warrior. <laughs> I um, think it's Majikai or something. Like that. <laughs> he, he, you know, lets go of Dispo and says, yes, this is finally like I've been looking for you the whole time. I don't want to deal with these guys. And we see Jiren using just the shockwave from one of his punches, not even landing the punch, just the 
the effect of it being fired in his direction was enough to just blast the slime warrior off the edge of the arena, eliminating him. And this is kind of the another preview of just how powerful Jiren really is. Yeah, this is just giving us an opportunity to experience the real power of Jiren here, uh, or, you know, just a hint of it, really. But we basically cut over to Master Roshi uh, trying to uh, fight Frost here, or trying to use the evil containment wave. And he ends up missing. Uh, he, he, he doesn't land the evil containment wave into the container, and so Frost sees this as an opportunity. You kind of see Frost with a bit of an idea in his head as he sees Vegeta and attacks Vegeta, getting him involved in the fight. Yeah, and at first, I, I think the first time you see this, you think, okay, well, what the hell's going on? Like, Frost can't, could, at this point, looks like can barely beat Master Roshi versus <laughs> beating Vegeta and Roshi. And we get to see um, Botamo kind of show up in the fight, and we've got a... A 2v1 against Vegeta with Roshi kind of off to the side. And this is where Roshi attempts to help out with a evil containment wave. And at this point, Frost kind of being, I guess, keen to what Roshi's trying to do, redirects the evil containment wave to Vegeta, ultimately trapping him. And left with kind of a, a really bad situation, especially a bad taste in Roshi's mouth, who was trying to help and made things infinitely worse. Roshi attempts to... I guess, throw a little key blast over at Frost, which misses. And then Roshi, being clever, kind of redirects this little key blast back towards him and breaks the little bottle that Vegeta's stuck in. And we now we have a very, very pissed off Vegeta who's just been released from his containment. Yeah, this scene, I really like the scene where Roshi frees Vegeta uh, because... Just the tiny, it's like a tiny little sparkle. It's a little speck of a key blast from Roshi that he uses to just shatter the top of this tiny little bottle that Frost is getting ready to chuck outside of the ring, uh, which would have just eliminated Vegeta from the fight. Uh, and we already know that Frost is not strong enough to fight Vegeta head on. So this is a big deal. This is This is a pretty good save from Roshi after he kind of messed it up a little bit. And I like it too, because it's, I... I like the idea of a, a master should always know that you should always use the minimum force necessary. Right. And Roshi literally used just this tiniest little speck of energy, something that, you know, it was never going to hurt anybody. It's laughable how small of an amount of energy this was, but it's enough to break a bottle. And that's what he did. And we yeah. get Vegeta basically just slapping around Botamo and just knocking him off. And uh, at this point, Frost retreats. So Frost is still in the battle, but Frost understands that this is a, a kind of a losing fight. And at this point, Roshi kind of realizes that he's completely spent and willingly steps off the, the side of the arena. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think real quick, I think it might have been, I can't remember if Botamo fought there too. I know Vegeta knocks out Megeta, the big metal man. Oh, it is Megeta. Um, Sorry, my bad. No worries. I just want to make sure we were... On the same page there. But yeah, I think it's Magetta. I, it's, I think... Botamo was Winnie the Pooh, isn't it? Exactly. Okay, yep, yep, that was Magetta. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think Vegeta insults Magetta this time and then is able to knock him off. But uh, yeah, Roshi, at Vegeta's prompting, Roshi just leaps off uh, voluntarily because Vegeta says he's, you know, he's tapped out. So 
that pretty much wraps up that episode. Yeah, I, there is a small moment where Beers actually gives a compliment over to Roshi, and that that did feel kind of good. I, it's nice when you see a character like Roshi, who I think is very underappreciated, kind of being talked up a little bit by arguably one of the most power be- powerful beings in the multiverse. Yeah, yeah, and that's a good point. And uh, yeah, I think he says something like, you fought well out there, old timer, or something, which is pretty fun. I like that, too. And that leads us into episode 108, Frieza and Frost, Intersecting Evil Intentions. And you kind of get an idea of where this episode's going. But it starts off with Gohan and a Yardrat fighting. And we get to see kind of the the power of fighting with instant transmission can really yield, which I thought was really cool. I really like this. I like that they are at times taking old things from dragon ball or dragon ball z that we already know and they're bringing them into the tournament so we get to see a yardradian who is very skilled mastered at instant transmission and uh he uses it to great effect he's beating up gohan here uh until we basically get well we basically get frost joining the fight as well as frieza uh and I think Frieza kind of comes in to help against the Yardrat, but then Frost is, um, well, basically reveals that Frieza's against Gohan. I mean, Frieza still had some fun with the Yardrat, and he made sure to inflict maximal bodily harm before knocking out the Yardrat, which That's right. is very Frieza. I, I like it when they take that extra moment to be like, no, nah, Frieza's not knocking this person off. Frieza's having fun with this person and then allowing them to leave the arena. Yeah, it, it really shows Frieza's kind of uh, twisted side as he plays with his food, more or less. But he basically just overpowers the Yardrat. But you're you're right. The only other real point in this episode is that we get um, the alliance between Frieza and Frost is revealed. And they threaten to turn on Gohan to knock, knock him off. So those two versus Gohan sort of thing. And yeah, the... Interesting thing that happens is Frost demands Frieza knock off Gohan to prove loyalty. And so we get kind of this weird, weird fight between Gohan and Frieza and Gohan's getting knocked around. And then after this point, we get the old uh, double betrayal once Frieza has kind of earned Frost's trust. And uh, <laughs> and, and uh, Frost gets uh, knocked off by Frieza. Yeah, this is interesting. We have Universe 7 is showing concern about Frieza betraying them because, you know, Frieza's an evil asshole. But uh, the they're concerned that Frieza's goal here is to knock off more of his teammates but still win the tournament himself so that he can get his hands on the Super Dragon Balls and make his own wish. Yeah, and it's... I love that they never never forget a moment to prove just how dastardly Frieza is. And this is another one of those moments where it looks like Frieza's betraying Gohan and then Frieza betrays Frost. Really, nobody can trust Frieza at this point. I love it. Frieza might be my favorite part of this whole tournament, if only because he is a cause for serious tension throughout the whole thing. <laughs> it, it's a lot of fun. Just what is Frieza going to do next? And it's... I tell you what, I'm glad at first I was nervous about them bringing Frieza in because it felt like kind of a kind of a pointless throwback. But the way they did it made it super fun. So all is forgiven at this point. I feel the same. Yeah, I was a little bit bummed that they were bringing him back again. But 
I would be really sad to see a tournament of power without Frieza. His, <laughs> his, his dialogue is excellent. All of the moments of tension that he creates are fantastic. So A plus I'm bringing Frieza back for this tournament. But uh, I think that's more or less that episode. And is it, was there anything else? Uh, basically, Frieza betrays Frost, knocks Frost out. And yeah, we're moving on to 109. So 109 is the ultimate enemy approaches Goku. Now let loose the killer Genkai Dama, whatever that is. <laughs> oh, yeah, the Genki Dama. That's the spirit bomb. Oh, OK. All right. Thank you for for being my translator. All right. <laughs> So we get uh, Goku and uh, Ribrian kind of squaring off in a Saiyan versus Magic Girl combat. We did, we get a couple silly moments with Ribrian talking about love and Goku just kind of hitting her around, which is kind of comical. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty funny. Pretty funny to watch. But uh, yeah. after that, we get Goku and Jiren actually running into each other. And Jiren is given the order from his destroyer god to crush Goku and ignore the other weaklings. So we get a little bit of a battle between Goku and Jiren finally beginning, and we get a little bit of Jiren's tremendous power finally revealed. Yeah, this is a big deal because while we've been told and kind of shown that Jiren is strong, we haven't had anybody that we know their power to kind of scale him against. We know Goku. We know Goku's probably the strongest fighter on Universe 7's team, and Jiren just treats him like he is a child uh is not concerned about his attacks we get goku going into kaioken times 20 uh he's attacking jiren with both melee attacks and a kamehameha uh or i'm sorry just key blasts none of it's effective um and it's you know this is really showing us what jiren has to bring to the table what did you think about the um i guess the animation quality of this initial little i guess spar between the two characters it's funny because i actually have a note here specifically that says the animation here is mediocre um it's it, it's not their best work uh you i think they definitely kick it up a notch later um but it, it's it's not terrible that's pretty close to what i kind of thought it's i really wanted to like the animation it it had the spirit of what should have been animated, but it wasn't executed to the highest level. And when you're talking Goku, the main character of our universe, and Jiren, who I think is... At this point, everyone knows Jiren's the big baddie. Every exchange between those two should be something special, and this didn't feel special to me. It didn't didn't feel bad, but it should have been better. I agree. Uh, the The good thing is that we will get better later on between them. But but I've I totally put the same in here that I was like ah, I was kind of mediocre at best. So um, we get a uh, Goku kind of getting beaten back even with the Kaioken, and this is where he calls upon the Genki Dama, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's kind of his last ditch effort, or at least what it feels like. And so Goku draws on all the power that he can find. And Jiren actually allows this to happen. He says, go ahead, charge up your best attack, take your time, which I thought yeah. was awesome. At this point, Jiren is trying to make sure that everyone knows how powerful he is. And we get this colossal spear bomb. It comes bearing down on Jiren. And Jiren knocks it right back at Goku. And that's where the episode more or less ends. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, this is interesting. Um, 
really, I, I have some thoughts about this, but I think I want to talk about it more in the next episode where the spirit bomb kind of resolves. So yeah, I have a lot of feelings about this. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, I want to see the resolution here, though. So do we, we want to move on to the next episode that takes yeah, us right back into it? That's going to be episode one ten. Son Goku wakes. New level of the awakened. Um, and yeah, so we get this kind of struggle over who controls the spirit bomb. And we see Goku is eventually overpowered and is caught in the spirit bomb blast. And everyone thinks he's dead, but he emerges kind of from the electrically charged crater that he was left in. And he has this new kind of silver aura of power. And it's something that's completely brand new. And yeah, we see Goku kind of get powered up rather than hurt from the spirit bomb. Yeah, so let's stop here and talk about this briefly (laughs) because I have a lot of thoughts about this. So first off, the spirit bomb. I want to hear your thoughts, Dayton, about... I I have mixed feelings about how powerful this spirit bomb should be. So like, if we compare it to, let's say, the spirit bomb at the end of Dragon Ball Z, the spirit bomb that Goku uses against Kid Buu to defeat him, uh, where Goku has all of the energy of everyone from Earth, for the most part, as well as all of the Z fighters, all of his friends, and I think even some other people who are not from Earth. Uh, and that So that thing should be very strong. In this instance, Goku is not calling on the, you know, the life forms on Earth. He's not calling on the people who live on Earth. I think the only people who would be contributing to this spirit bomb are his other friends in Universe 7. And Vegeta explicitly says, nah, dude, I'm not giving you my energy. <laughs> yeah, so at this point, I think I think it's safe to say that the spirit bomb is probably mostly Goku energy and a couple of the Z fighters that are there at the tournament because I don't think we see... Did Beerus or Whis give any energy? Because I don't think they did. I don't remember that being animated or shown because that would explain a powerful spirit bomb if you have, you know, Deity, like if you have a god of destruction and an angel being like, yeah, here's my power, throw it at that guy. I'd buy right. that. <laughs> but yeah. We don't see that. And if it did happen, it's not shown. So I'm going to assume that that did not happen. I think the spirit bomb is almost exclusively Goku's energy, plus, I don't know, 40% of it is probably the rest of the Z fighters. Yeah. I mean, Frieza offers up his energy, which I thought was interesting. Um, but Free- yeah. Frieza would not offer like, a significant portion of Frieza's no. energy, though. It'd be like, you did, you, you, you know, five out of my hundred. Here you go. Have fun. Exactly. Yeah. Frieza gave up. He did give up some energy, but it was probably a small portion. And Vegeta explicitly refused to give energy. Um, but yeah, I thought that was a little bit odd. I, I'm not sure how powerful this spirit bomb would be. But regardless, we get, you know, weird stuff like that sometimes in Super. And that's fine. I just wanted to talk about that. Uh, the other thing, though. <laughs> so. Oh, yep. I know where you're going. Why in the world does Goku getting hit by the spirit bomb suddenly give him this power up to ultra instinct? This makes no sense to me whatsoever. What did you think about that, Dayton? I didn't understand it. Um, I don't know. Like, even now, I can't even wrap my head around it because it's like we've seen the spirit bomb multiple times. We kind of know what it is, right? Yeah. And so why does why does the spirit bomb affect Goku differently than roughly everybody else? Is it is it because the spirit bomb is made of 
more pure energy and Goku's a more pure hearted person or something? Is there some sort of relation between that? But I mean, I'm just speculating because they, they don't go into detail or really explain it. It's just kind of Goku was hit by the spirit bomb and is now better. Yeah. Yeah. And so if anybody's watched, uh, I think it's the, I think it's the first Broly movie. Maybe not the first. No, I'm sorry. It's the uh, Android 13 movie where Goku absorbs the spirit bomb. And then because he absorbed the spirit bomb, he's strong enough to beat Super Android 13. Is that the trucker uh, one? It's the trucker one. The trucker <laughs> hat. <laughs> Heck yeah. Best movie ever made. Uh, I mean, the abridged one is fantastic. Shout out to <laughs> Team Four Star for that. Goddamn $5 haircut. <laughs> so good. Uh, knocked off my trucker hat. But, uh, <laughs> Maybe we should review that movie. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that'll be next. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so this feels to me like Toei Animation doing a movie poll of like how Goku beats the movie villains. So I'm I'm just not satisfied with that being the way that Goku gets Ultra Instinct. However. And this might be an unpopular opinion. I mentioned this to Dayton previously that in the manga, they do it very differently. So Toyotaro, who's been kind of writing slash drawing the manga uh, for Super, he has Master Roshi still in the tournament at this point before Jiren and Goku really square off. And Master Roshi basically tells Goku, hey, I've got, you know, one last thing to show you. And... He goes up against Jiren for just very briefly, but Master Roshi basically dodges several of Jiren's attacks. And for those of us who understand or know Ultra Instinct at this point, it's all about having a perfect defense as well as later a perfect offense, but just kind of letting go and being able to dodge those attacks. And so Master Roshi basically shows... Not that he can do Ultra Instinct, but that he understands the concepts of it and he shows like a lesser version of Ultra Instinct. And that is what gets Goku to understand Ultra Instinct and be able to tap into that technique and that power. And I personally like that much better than he gets charged up by a spirit bomb for some reason. And it's Master Roshi is, I mean, it's in the name. He's a master of a martial art. And I could definitely see a situation where, you know, like, yeah, I'm not strong enough to hurt this person, but I, I've read him. I know his moves. Like, it's, I like the idea of showing the master being a master. And this is right. one of those, I mean, any more, a few situations where we actually get to see that or would have been able to see that if they would have followed the manga. But, I mean, I will say, the uh, the anime has one thing on the manga, and that's um, it says right in the show that Goku's energy is recharged after getting hit with the spirit bomb, and so that explains why he has so much energy later in the fight. So uh, it's much better. <laughs> you got me there. I, yeah, I got nothing whole to say about that. <laughs> like, where does Goku get all of his energy from? Well, halfway through, he just got you know he got got a health potion or whatever, so he's good yeah. to go, man. It's like a Energizer battery there, he's <laughs> recharged. No, I would have liked that that Master Roshi having a little bit more relevance. And it's one of those things where he's still relevant as a teacher at this point. And right. I think that's where that's where I like seeing Master Roshi. I like seeing him in that kind of leadership role and a master of his art too often anymore. I think he's kind of written off as just a, a weird pervy joke. 
which is, yeah. you know, fine and all. He's always kind of been that, but he's also always been the master. And I, I like seeing that. I like seeing him at the top of his trade. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. But I had to bring that up because that was one of the big differences between the anime and the manga that I felt like the manga just, in my opinion, did much better. Um, but regardless of that, this <laughs> brings us to what starts to be one of the cool exchanges between Ultra Instinct, what they call, well, the, the English dub calls it Autonomous Ultra Instinct, but this version with the black hair in the fan base is often referred to as Ultra Instinct Sign or Ultra Instinct Omen because it's not the full mastered version yet. Oh, uh, uh, he's still half stinked. Exactly. Okay, half yeah. stinked. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, this part is pretty cool i actually have a note that this fight is pretty well animated um i will say the i know the bloom effect around the ultra instinct sign is a little bit overdone the aura is a little bit overdone Um, yeah it is a bit much it's it's almost kind of distracting and my understanding of ultra instinct is that it's less of like um how should i put this it's less of like a a form change and more of just a a state of mind i guess something like that that's kind of the vibe i got i don't actually know but it's it's weird that it's so vi- like bright and vibrant when it's something that should just be a very subtle change in demeanor that's that's how i felt but i get that they have to animate it somehow and kind of make it shown but this it's pretty loud it's pretty loud. And that's another difference in the manga. I think in the manga, it's pretty subtle. I mean, you get to see his eyes change, his hair change a little bit, but it's much more subtle. And it's even in the manga later in the later arcs, it's it's kind of <laughs> Ultra Instinct is a weird mixture between a technique and a transformation. Um, it, it's it's a little bit of a mess in that way. But regardless, this fight is pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, it is really actually, it's, I think it was well animated too. It was just something really nice to look at and it's very brief. That's one of the things that just like left me wanting more is that this is actually a very kind of brief fight between, uh, Goku and I guess, uh, ultra instinct. Omen is the name of this. Yeah. Yeah. That's basically the, the initial stage of ultra instinct. And, I, the thing that I like about this, though, in the anime, uh, probably in the manga, too, but in the anime, in this fight scene, I feel like it makes Ultra Instinct's fighting style feel unique. It shows Goku dodging everything, uh, and it he, he just feels calm and confident, and it, it feels different than the way that we see him normally fight. Normally, he feels like a martial artist, but more like he's brawling, I guess, too. I mean, this this makes him feel a little bit more like less static and more kind of liquid. It's he's more flowing around the the blows and attacks of his opponent rather than like blocking and striking back. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way to describe it. Um and this basically gets us to let's see. So we oh. do get to see Goku is kind of knocked back and and mostly defeated at this point, even with the Ultra Instinct form, Jiren's power just being too overwhelming. Right, yeah. And so I think this ends up, Goku drops out of the Ultra Instinct omen transformation or technique. And uh, we basically see that, we see Goku and Vegeta talking briefly and then Frieza snatches up Goku and takes him to a place where nobody else can see, apparently. 
And the episode kind of ends with Frieza holding glowing key in his hand in Goku's direction. And he has a great comment that I love here where he says, well, doesn't this remind you of Namek all over again? <laughs> uh, Frieza never taking a moment to not be controversial. <laughs> yeah, and this is great. This is a great cliffhanger to end this episode on, especially when you're watching week to week, because the audience is like, is Frieza going to finish off Goku? Is he going to help Goku? What's he going to do here? And that leads us right into episode 111, which is the extreme battle of another dimension, Hit versus Jiren. And this is kind of where we pick up with uh, Goku and Frieza. Frieza, I guess, threatening Goku-ish, but helping him out at least, being a good guy at the very end. <laughs> exactly. Frieza does blast Goku with key, but... He's giving Goku some of his energy. And this is a pretty cool... Uh, this is basically what Frieza was referencing when he mentioned uh, this reminded him of Namek. So I thought that was pretty fun Where because Goku gave Frieza some of his energy when he cut him in half. Well, when Frieza cut himself in half, I guess. Yeah, it's it's a nice little throwback. I mean, it's, it's Frieza more or less paying back Goku at this point. So I think they're probably pretty even Stevens at this point. Exactly. I do want to point out that there are going to be a lot of nostalgia throwbacks in this tournament, especially in this portion of episodes. And this, in my opinion, is one of the good ways to do a nostalgia throwback. It's nice because it's not ham-fisted or anything. It felt natural. It fit right in. It's it's very well done. It's also not really in your face. It makes you think for a minute. And yeah, you get it. So I, yeah. I really appreciated it. It was well done. Yeah, there will be some bad ones later. We'll talk about those. Yeah, and uh, now with uh, Goku juiced back up, we're going to flip back over and we see Hit and Jiren beginning their battle. And the thing that caught me kind of off guard with this battle is that Jiren is actually familiar with time skipping. That was the first thing I noticed because very early in the battle, we see Jiren keeping up with Hit and, if anything, beating back Hit. And he mentions, oh, you're using a time skipping technique. And I thought that was very interesting. Yeah, that's a good thought. I didn't think too much about that. Uh, they, I think they make a point because Hit is using his time skip to try to attack Jiren, and Jiren is basically countering, like counterattacking Hit every time he time skips. Um, I, I kind of got the impression that Jiren is just so powerful and so, uh, so much more powerful than Hit that he's able to basically catch a bead on him before Hit even moves after the time skip. Uh, but it's also probably in part due to the fact that Jiren is familiar with this technique, like you're describing, Dayton. Yeah, and I, I'd almost really like them to take a minute to kind of flesh Jiren out a little bit more because he's at this point we still Doesn't don't it, really everybody. know. Yeah, we we still don't know really anything about Jiren, and we're more than halfway through the Tournament of Power. And I guess a little bit of a spoiler alert, we still don't learn a ton about Jiren by the end. We get a brief backstory, and it's something that I, I, I feel like it's sorely missing. I don't really understand the motives or the experiences of Jiren. He just seems like just a big glob of muscle that just punches things. Yeah, that's, that is, I think, most people's complaint about Jiren is that he's not much of a character, honestly. He's just a... He's just a wall to overcome for Goku and the rest of the team. Like, that's it. And I mentioned, I mentioned that because him knowing about the time-skipping technique makes you wonder, all right, well, 
why does Jiren know about this? But for some reason, just in deep in my heart, I don't think there is a reason. Either that or maybe there's a slight difference in the dub versus the uh, original Japanese version where maybe it wasn't said that way. I'd have to go back and rewatch to confirm, but I, eh, I, I hope they do something with it because it'd be nice to have maybe multiple time skipping characters or just kind of, you know, build out the, the universe a little bit more. I agree. It would have been cool if either one of the people in the Pride Troopers had time had a time ability, which would explain why Jiren understood it so well. Or even if they showed a 20 second flashback of Jiren encountering somebody with uh, time power, that would have been more appropriate. But basically, uh, I we see hits kind of they're they're fighting each other for a while, uh, and Jiren's basically. Um, not able to deliver a final blow on hit yet uh, and hits using his time skip and people are wondering why he just keeps using it and doesn't change tactics. Um, eventually though, hit says that he's got to read on Jiren's attack patterns and he ends up going in for what he thinks is a decisive blow. The first blow actually, I think that he even lands on hit, but it's basically one of his, uh, air punches that hits Jiren right in the chest and then he uses a new time ability or at least one that is new to the audience here kind of freezing and locking Jiren in time at this point yeah and I thought this was um I mean I thought it was a cool technique I like seeing characters grow and I think kind of the logic is that when when Jiren or not Jiren when hit time skips he stores some of that time he skipped past and he's mm -hmm. able to manifest that into this cage that he has Jiren trapped into. I'm not going to go too deep into thinking about how the logic around that works, but at least they tried to explain something and it's kind of cool. It kind of gives this push and pull mechanic to the way that hit functions. Yeah, I thought that was kind of cool too. I did wonder though, when hit used that technique i did kind of wonder if he could have used one of his other techniques to like stop jiren's heart or something different like what he used against goku but regardless he used this time freezing technique uh, oh in the back of my head I, i've been thinking this whole tournament if i know someone is just a hell of a threat to my team why wouldn't I just kill them and get disqualified? It's still to my advantage. <laughs> Absolutely. Frieza actually makes a comment about that later, which I think is kind of funny. Um, but yeah, yeah, I I agree. Uh, for somebody like Jiren, I mean, kill him. Go all out. Like, I mean, that's the thing. Will... It's like, yeah, I killed Jiren, but Jiren is 10 times more powerful than everybody else. So my team stands that much more of an advantage. And especially with Hit, where I think he his he kind of knows how powerful his team is at this point, and without Hit in the match, all there really is to worry about, I think, is Goku and maybe Vegeta. Yeah, yeah, uh, and Hit knew that they were still around, so maybe that was one of the reasons he didn't try it. But I don't know. We we don't get a good look into Hit's head, unfortunately. But I feel like he might have had some other techniques that might have been useful in this situation. Well, that one wasn't very useful either because turns out Jiren is just too strong to be time caged. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's Which nothing already... clever about it. There's nothing clever about it. He's just too strong. Yeah. And this was one of my complaints about the the hit and Goku fight too, when Goku uses the Kaioken, is that Goku basically just becomes too strong for the time skip stuff to work. Um and that's, you know, again, same thing here with Jiren. Jiren's just too powerful to be <laughs> locked in time, which is kind of a bummer, but Oh, well, time's well, not that hard. You just have to be stronger than it. 
<laughs> apparently. Um, but basically, Hit initially plans to just hold uh, hold Jiren in place until the end of the tournament, which the tournament's only supposed to be 48 minutes total, so it's not terribly long. And we know um, that by the end of this episode, the tournament is only halfway done. So he's going to have to hold Jiren in that spot for half the tournament. Yeah, and it, he's barely able to hold him there for a minute or two based on the episode. Uh, but basically... Jiren breaks out of it. Uh, Hit tries to use some other attack that Jiren more or less just crushes with his fist. And Jiren ends up beating up Hit and blasting him with a key blast that explodes and knocks Hit from the arena. Uh, what did you think about that, Dayton? Uh, the The fight was... Okay, honestly, I was a little let down about the fight between Hit and Jiren. And the animation quality, I thought, was actually quite poor between the the few. This was, n for what should have been a really fun fight between two high-caliber characters, there's a lot of throwaway animations, things don't look good, the techniques and the resolution just kind of feel cheap. I don't know. It's it, You take Jiren, who's been built up as a very, very powerful fighter, and you take Hit, who up till this point is one of the most powerful fighters we've known, and you put them into a battle... I think they should take the time to make it a little bit more special than what they actually did with it. I would agree with you. I have a note in here that there is poor animation for the fight. It basically has a lot of still shots uh, and it doesn't really have anything terribly dynamic, which we will see later, fortunately, but I would have liked to have seen more care given to this fight. Uh, I also, I was surprised that hit had no plan or recourse uh, when he just got kind of like, unceremoniously knocked away from the arena. Um, it was also interesting to me, like hit basically got knocked to the ground and then hit with a key blast. And I thought it was interesting too, that hit couldn't use his time skip to dodge or anything. I mean, he might've been too wounded or disoriented, I guess would be the explanation, but I don't know. It, it seemed like you said, kind of a, uh, not the greatest resolution to that fight. Yeah, it's, and I mean, we, we've spent time with it and we've kind of gotten to know him at this point. So I don't, with a character that the audience has kind of come to know, you shouldn't really just throw him away like that. It shouldn't be unceremonious. And it really did feel that way. I agree. Basically, the episode wraps up, though, with Jiren saying, all right, guys, I've done my part. The rest of you pride troopers can handle this because I've beaten everybody who is of note or who is, you know, a worthy opponent. And so Jiren begins meditating and that kind of wraps up this episode. Yeah. And I think we're going to take just one moment to kind of just discuss the first third of this, uh, well, of this episode of the podcast, because it's, we've gone over a lot pretty quickly. And in my opinion, a lot has kind of happened, but also not really a lot has happened either. It's kind of a, we get to see Goku teasing instant transmission, or not instant transmission, uh, Ultra Instinct. <laughs> there we go. Um, and, like, it hits knocked off, but the fight's really not that great. We get a couple funny moments with, like, Frieza. And, but, I mean, it's, you know, there's nothing really great in the first, I guess, third. So, uh, yeah. I would agree. The The big takeaways here are Goku has a new technique or transformation in Ultra Instinct Omen, and Jiren's a powerhouse, and we now know how big of a powerhouse, and 
Jiren was strong enough to beat both Goku and Hit and even knock Hit out of the arena. So those are kind of the big takeaways. Some of the fights are not the greatest. The fight between Ultra Instinct Omen, Goku, and Jiren has some good stuff in it, and it's it's kind of teasing what is to come. There will be good stuff moving forward, and, I, and I'm excited to get to some of that. Oh, yeah. This is definitely a case of things just keep getting better and better as we move forward. Absolutely. I'm excited to do. So you want to jump into episode 112? Let's do it. All right. So this is a Saiyan's vow, Vegeta's resolve. And the episode starts out with Jiren just kind of sitting back, meditating with the pride troopers, taking up position to more or less keep Jiren safe until the end. And we see Gohan and Piccolo fighting two Namekians, which is pretty cool. There's some pretty neat little teamwork things that happen here with Gohan catching an energy blade from one of the one of the Namekians and Piccolo leaning around and firing through him. I thought this was for kind of a not an important fight. I thought it was a fun fight. I thought it was cool. It's it's brief, but it's it's a lot of fun. I I put specific notes in here about that same thing about them catching the blade and uh, Piccolo using it as an opening for a key blast, and then some of the Namekian or the other Namekians have some tracking key blast attacks, which I thought were cool looking. So I like getting to see combo moves in Dragon Ball. We don't get to see that very often. Yeah, and sometimes the combo moves feel like they're not really combo moves. They're kind of just thrown in there like, yeah, everyone threw their blasts at the guy. Teamwork. Yeah, this, this felt like actual people working together. So I was a big fan of that. And I will always take note when they do something very, very well like they did this. Yeah, I, I very much agree. Uh, we basically get uh, Goku also, they show briefly being attacked or at least surrounded by multiple robots. Uh, they kind of taking advantage of the fact that he's weak or weakened. Mm-hmm. And we also switch to, there's going to be lots of switching here, but we switch to Kaba trying to defend Khalifla and Kale from what I called the roly-poly warrior Mona from (laughs) Universe 4. Yep. And this is kind of a cool scene. He basically wants to give the female Saiyans time to recover because he believes that with Hit gone, they're probably Universe 6's best chance at winning this tournament. Uh, And the the fight is mediocre. Basically, this roly-poly character rolls at Kaba and uh, he tries to get her to go off the edge himself, but she turns and knocks him off. However, he ends up being saved by none other than Vegeta. Yeah, and... Okay, I, I need to bring up something. Um, How much time elapsed between the Zeno Expo and the Tournament of Power? What was the gap? You know, off the top of my head, I'm actually not sure, uh, but I... It was about two it's days. not a lot of time. It was about two days. Was it two days? So... Okay. <laughs> um, so we get Kaba kind of being rescued and kind of told that he needs to just embrace his Saiyan pride and find a way to fight through. And Kaba fights all the way through to Super Saiyan 2. Yeah. So yeah. like less than a week ago, Kaba learned Super Saiyan <laughs> and then jumped to Super Saiyan 2. Yeah. Uh, I, I know, I know. It's not going away, but the I wish Super Saiyan mattered. Uh, I'm I'm in that camp pretty hard because watching just 
how little going through the Super Saiyan ranks matters anymore. It just it really does bother me because if you're a longtime watcher of Dragon Ball, you know all the struggles each of the, the Saiyans went through to achieve that next level. Some more than others, but there was a struggle and it did take time. And just seeing like over the course of a week, a Saiyan learn Super Saiyan, then jump to Super Saiyan 2. Ugh, it it bothers me. I'm I'm sorry. I'm gonna be that guy. No, I I think I'm on board with you. I will say the only things uh, that I will give them credit for here is that Kaba at least has knowledge of these other transformations. Like he's seen either Goku or Vegeta and whatnot go to these and Vegeta uh, go to these other levels of transformation. So he knows that there's more to reach for. Whereas like Goku, Gohan, Vegeta, Trunks, they didn't know that. So they were just kind of, you know, Waiting for Goku to figure it out. Exactly. Or (laughs) Gohan in the case of Cell. So that's true. Um, But uh, the other thing that I do like, at least with Kaba, and they don't do this with some of the other Saiyans, but at least with Kaba, each time that he transforms, they give him a reason. Sometimes it's not even a great reason to transform. Uh, Like Vegeta basically tries to insult or say that he'll murder Kaba's family, which gets Kaba to transform into Super Saiyan. And then this time, what basically happens is that this Mona character verbally bashes Vegeta, Khalifa, and Kale, saying, like, you know, they're cowards, they're weak, and she's going to go and finish them off. And this is what sets Kaba off. And I, even it, though it's it's not the best reason for him to transform, at least they give him a reason to transform <laughs> and i mean i get why they do it right we, we live in a world where super saiyan blue exists so right super saiyan one is irrelevant super saiyan yeah. two is basically irrelevant so until you get to i would say at least super saiyan three you're not even a relevant fighter when it comes to the whole grand scheme of things because and i think we saw this with trunks he was still stuck on i think super saiyan two while the z fighters were well goku and vegeta were up to uh, super saiyan blue but trunks was fighting at such a high level even being at super saiyan 2 and you could argue that you know maybe he was too powerful or yada yada if if you ask me i I, and i wish they would explore this i think there should be a mastery over each level of super saiyan that people could tap into because I think Trunks probably spent so much time fighting at Super Saiyan 2 that he's pretty much like he's a master of it. He fighting at Super Saiyan 2 should be better than any other Saiyan fighting at Super Saiyan level 2 because he's spent so much time in that form. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, the Cell Saga explores that a little bit, at least with the first level of Super Saiyan, because you have, they basically transform into Super Saiyan, and then you have like Super Saiyan grade 1, 2, 3, all the way up to grade 4, which is, so like, Grade two was basically like Super Vegeta against Cell. Grade three was uh, Trunks going beefcake mode against Cell. And then, beefcake. Yeah. And then grade four was what Goku and Gohan achieved through staying in Super Saiyan form for who knows how long in the hyperbolic time chamber. Um, and that was basically like they had mastered original Super Saiyan at that point, but we don't see that same change with the other levels. But I, I think you're right that Trunks probably achieved that mastery with Super Saiyan 2, which is probably a good explanation for his strength 
And then he also gets some bullshit transformation of <laughs> Super Saiyan Rage. But yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, oh well, well, we'll move on. We could probably argue about uh, transformations and forever. <laughs> oh yeah, the fan base has argued that to death on the internet. I'm sure. <laughs> oh yeah. So, um, so we get Kaba kind of reaching that next level and winning his fight. But afterwards, we get what I think is a another great Frieza moment where Kappa is kind of left isolated and Frieza comes upon him and we get a bunch of taunting by Frieza and smack talking. And yeah, Frieza takes this opportunity to knock Kappa off the arena while no one's looking. And I can only imagine how furious Vegeta would be about this. Yeah, I think they even show Vegeta's face. We don't really get his response to it. I do want to rewind real quick and just note that Kaba's Super Saiyan 2 transformation, the animation for it looks great. And the fact that what he knocks off Mona with is a key blast that looks very similar to Vegeta's final flash. I like that little nod to that. Um, so those are cool, two cool little details. But there's also really a couple of really good lines from Frieza in here as he's just pummeling Kaba before he knocks him out. Uh, I, I wrote them down because there's one where he says, there's, there's nothing I hate more than a monkey. And then the last one that I thought was noteworthy here that we don't get to see come to fruition is the super dragon balls will be mine. And then I'll wrap the gods around my finger. <laughs> and this this thread about him doing something with the gods and like gaining power over the gods kind of gets dropped throughout the tournament, which is kind of a bummer. I really like this idea. Yeah. And I think Frieza even mentioned it from the beginning that Frieza was going to find a way to get the, the gods under his thumb by the end of the tournament. And I mean, it's interesting to think about, you know, what if Frieza somehow won the entire tournament and was the last one standing there? What would Frieza wish for? It's a, Really interesting what if kind of situation. I want to know so bad. Like I could, we could speculate so many different things, but yeah, I'd love to know what he was going to wish for. Um, <laughs> but we basically wrap up the episode with Khalifa coming in to save Goku from all of these robot warriors. And then she challenges Goku to a one-on-one -on -one fight. And that's basically where we wrap that up. Yes, and that brings us into episode 113 with such joy, the fighting maniac Saiyans battle again. Oh boy. So yeah, um, we get uh, an exchange between uh, Khalifa and Goku where she demands that Goku teach her the next level, that she teach Super Saiyan 3. And Goku says he will as long as she fights him at full power. Of course, Goku not using this moment to rest or try and win the tournament. He's using it as an excuse to get more fighting in, which is the most Goku thing. Yeah, it's pretty and appropriate. We see Khalifa go to Super Saiyan 2 fighting normal Goku, which I thought was interesting. And we actually see Goku kind of winning, I guess, ish against Khalifa, which should be kind of a one-sided match when it comes to, I guess, Super Saiyan forms. But we see Goku like not only keeping up, but def definitely getting in his lickings. The thing that I like about this, though, is that Whis, they actually go out of their way for Whis to explain why Goku would be winning, even though he's not transformed. And Whis goes through a kind of an explanation of breaking down martial arts and tactics, which is great because Goku, 
is a trained martial artist. We talked about that with Master Roshi. Like Goku has practiced these different techniques and moves. Um, you know, it's not just that he's powerful. Whereas Khalifa is more like a street brawler. Uh, she's just kind of going in, being like, "Hey, I'm strong. I'm going to beat you up." Um, and Goku is using that knowledge as a martial artist to kind of stick it to her a little bit. I love it. I think. Once again, this is almost like the Master Roshi fighting Jiren kind of analogy. It, it fits right in there. I think fighting experience should matter, and I love it when it does. Yeah, yeah, me too. Uh, so we get to see, because Goku's in his base form, we get to see him kind of use some fun techniques, like the afterimage technique. Uh, and he basically uses that with success against Khalifa. Uh, however, each time that he repeats an attack, Khalifa has figured it out. She learns from each attack that Goku uses, and then she kind of thwarts that attack. Uh, and so it, it's fun to see Khalifa, while she is a street brawler, she's also got a lot of potential, and she's growing and learning from these fights. And you kind of get the impression that Goku is teaching her as they go. He's feeding into it, right? She's or He's giving her the opportunity to learn from these fights. He's going to try all these techniques. He's not... I mean, let's be real. If Goku really wanted to overpower somebody, 90% of people he could, but he tries to get as much as he can out of the fight. And in most situations, it also kind of helps feed the person he's fighting against. 100%. And that kind of turns into, at this point, Goku has seemingly recovered enough energy to go up to Super Saiyan 2 to match Khalifa. Uh, they, I did note that they put a little bit of respect here into Goku Super Saiyan 2 transformation, which actually takes some effort. And it could be because he's in a tired state at this point. Uh, but we get a few more exchanges between them after he transforms here. And then Goku eventually prompts Kale to join in the fight as well. Yeah, and I'd also like to note one other thing. We do get some fighting with Goku using the instant transmission. Right. Which was really fun. And we actually get to see uh, Cauliflower just kind of predict Goku's instant transmission once she starts kind of catching on to, to how he's using it. And that's another example of what you're talking about, how she's learning the fight, that when she sees a technique, she picks up on it. And I thought that was cool. Yeah, yeah, those are good details. And that's a good point. Uh, and it's, it's fun to see her learn like that. And so Goku eventually prompts Kale to jump into the fight. Uh, I'm she immediately buffs herself up to what is some version of the legendary Super Saiyan. We know that Kale is kind of a uh, an analog for Broly, uh, and she's got the kind of green Super Saiyan hair. Uh, but she's she's in her smaller Super Saiyan form, I guess. She's not like in her full bulky Berserker legendary. It seems like Super an in between, right? Like it seems like it's she's drawing some of the power from that legendary form, but she's not going whole hog into it where she loses control exactly right and watching the two fight against goku eventually they're, they're kind of winning the fight they're using a couple of combo tactics uh but eventually goku learns their patterns and he's able to kind of hold his own here and they use a double key blast attack against goku both kale and Khalifa. And as the smoke clears, we see that Goku has defended himself by transforming into Super Saiyan 3, which is kind of a cool technique there. Uh, it's it's a bit of a tease to Kale and Cauliflower, too, because he pops up to there, shows it to them, and then says, ah, it takes too much energy, and then pops back down. <laughs> I can only imagine yeah. how enraging that would be if that's the thing you're trying to see, and yet you can't fight it. 
Yeah, yeah. I think Khalifa even expresses as much. Uh, and but eventually, they're they basically want to beat Goku here. So Kale begins to power up into what seems to be her full hulked out berserker form in Legendary Super Saiyan, and that kind of ends the episode for us there. Yeah, and yeah, that leads us into episode 114, which is Ghastly, the explosive birth of a new super warrior. And uh yeah, so okay, can I can I bring up something here real quick? Um Yeah. In the original version, what was the relationship like between Colorflood and Kale? Cuz it felt like it was a little bit different in the English version versus the original Japanese. You know, to me, honestly, if I remember right, I felt like in both, it was kind of vague. It felt, uh, I think what you might be getting at, because I think they keep calling each other sister in this one, which I they're not, as far as I understand, they're not like blood relatives, hmm. but it felt more like they were maybe in a sort of relationship in the Japanese? Is that kind of what you were getting at? Yeah, and I wasn't sure if that was something that I had misread, and then, I, I don't know. Like, it felt really weird because it really stuck out to me when, um, like they, like you said, they started referring to each other as sister, and I was just like, well, hold on. I don't remember them being sisters in the Japanese version, so I don't know. Did I misread the relationship in the original and then it was explained better in this or was it explained differently in this? I think it's I think it's kind of twofold in the dub where I don't think they mean literal sister in the dub. I think it's more like, you know, my very close friend who I would consider a sister or like my battle sister. But I also think that the they might be afraid to go into the <laughs> fact that they are PG-13. Keep it PG-13. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think it I think it's kind of twofold. I think that they're just afraid to go into that sort of relationship between Kale and Khalifla in the dub as well. But so that was one of those ones where it's just like, did I completely read that wrong when I saw it the first time around? Or did they change some stuff? Or I what's going on here? Did I make no. something up? <laughs> It's not explicit. Like, we're never told that they're in a relationship, no. in a romantic relationship, but it feels like it, especially in the Japanese. Well, and like, it made sense to me in the Japanese because a lot of Kale's emotion came from that of a jealous lover when Goku kind of comes into the picture. And that makes sense to me. Whereas, like, if that's my sister, then I don't, it doesn't make as much sense to me, I guess. Um, kind of just. Uh, Kalifla talking or fighting with another warrior, like that would be something that I feel like as a sibling you'd be proud of versus as a lover, that's somebody that's getting in between you and this person. I don't know. That's that's just me maybe reading too much into it. Yeah, that's fair. And I, I could see this. I didn't even think of it that way until you mentioned that where the, the jealousy bits don't really make much sense if she's not in a romantic relationship with her. Um but yeah, I I still in my mind in my head canon they're in a romantic relationship. So. Yeah, I'm I'm in I'm living in that same awkward room as you. So basically, right? <laughs> <laughs> all right. So anyway, but, um, so Kale is learning to control her legendary Super Saiyan form, which is something that since we've seen and reviewed the Broly movie, that's something we did not see Broly do. This is something kind of new, seeing that legendary Super Saiyan power being tapped into, but also keeping control of it. Yeah, and it does take 
Khalifla to kind of prompt Kale and be like, hey, you know, I'm really proud of you for doing this. Uh, because we can see Kale kind of like grab Khalifla's hand and begin to crush it briefly, but then she snaps out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I did want to point out here too. So I did, I had to do some research because there's an animator for this episode and one of the later episodes. His name is Yuya Takahashi. And I have a note here that's this episode has some of the best animation in super up to this point with really good choreography. There's lots of good combo moves between Kale and Khalifla, and it's gorgeous. Uh, it, it really looks like peak Dragon Ball Z animation, in my opinion. It's a really good throwback. Oh, geez. I think I uh, I missed some of that because there's some good uh, Frieza dialogue and stuff that I really appreciated, so I was focusing on that a little, little bit more, but you're probably right because I definitely don't have notes that it was bad. <laughs> Good. Yeah. Well, I don't have notes about that. So you probably covered that part of it, which is great. Um, but basically we get Kale and Khalifla fighting against Goku. Kale is charged up at this point. Uh, and as a result, the the ladies have a bit of an edge against Goku. Uh, and we even get a point, maybe this is what you are talking about here, but we get a point where Frieza tries to butt into the fight and Goku more or less just stops him and is like, hey, this is my fight. Well, right before that happens, Frieza's standing up with some rocks, just firing uh, lasers in every direction, just kind of cackling. And Frieza delivers this line. It's the emperor's court needs a new jester who will entertain me next as he's just up there blasting away, just having a good just the, the hubris on that character and how they never fail to just show us it. I freaking love that character, man. It's. I think, honestly, the reason I didn't write a lot of Frieza's lines down is because there's so many good ones in the tournament that I would have just written down, like, my notes would have been nothing but Frieza dialogue because there's so many. (laughs) Um, And the voice actors for Frieza, I think we get both Chris Ayers and maybe a little bit of Damon Mills in here. Uh, Phenomenal. Chris Ayers, fantastic. And Damon Mills trying to uh, voice match for Chris Ayers when Chris Ayers was not able to perform does an excellent job. I probably the possibly my favorite character in terms of voice delivery in the entire tournament. I mean, it's so good. Even when like, like Goku's kind of blasted into the area in front of Frieza and Frieza's like, sigh, fine. I guess I'll help you out here. And Goku's like, no, like I have dibs on these two. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's a great exchange between those two. And it's a really good character dynamic between Frieza and Goku where Goku's like, nah, man, this is how this works. I got dibs on this fight. Yeah. And then Goku like turns around and like go back to fighting. And you see Frieza kind of like lift a finger and start charging up a key blast. And (laughs) Goku's like, Frieza? (laughs) Uh (laughs) What a great like interaction between, you know, two people who... I mean, Frieza hates Goku, uh, but it almost becomes like a little bit of a frenemies sort of relationship, almost like a like a Joker and Batman in this situation, which is really fun to me. It's like, I, I love to hate you sort of thing. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> oh, it's so good. Yeah, I just, I had, uh, I'm having a blast this episode. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I, I love this one too. This is really good. But we basically get the fight continuing between Goku and the two female Saiyans. Uh, Goku transforms again, going up to Super Saiyan God form at this point. And he takes control of the fight at this point. We get a cool shot of him doing some finger guns. <laughs> and uh, we get him using some tracking key blast balls on both 
Khalifla and Kale. Uh, Kale is able to muscle her way through it and lift it away from her. Whereas Khalifla tries to dodge away, not probably not being strong enough to, you know, take it on head first. And she ends up getting blasted by it. Uh, at which point Kale goes over to kind of grab her and is concerned for her well-being. Um, and we get Goku charging a Kamehameha to finish them off at this point. Uh, he's, he's kind of taught them everything that he can. And he's going to finish the fight. However, we see something happen between them as Kale, or I'm sorry, Khalifa pulls out two Patara earrings and we get the fusion between Khalifa and Kale in Kefla. And her magnificent pink sweats. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. I actually really like her character design, but <laughs> but yeah, I mean, they could have made something different for her clothes. I mean, I she know. looks comfy as hell. I'd fight in that. I mean, me too. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, I didn't take a note on it, so I don't know if it happens at the end of this episode or the start of the next, but we see the Patara fusion, and the thing that immediately gets ruled on is that it is legal and all the other like gods and universes start discussing who they're going to like throw their earrings to and fuse with on their teams. <laughs> I think it's, yeah, I think it's at the beginning of the next episode, but we can pretty much run right into that. But I mean, the fight kind of shows Kefla fly past super Saiyan God Goku faster than she can even control. And then yep. punch him right in the face and the animation for this is excellent. Did you want to give us the uh, episode title for the next one? Yeah, it's a uh, Goku versus uh, Kafla or Kefla, um, Super Saiyan Blue defeated, and it, I love it because it's we've seen fusion of strong characters before, like with um, uh, Gogeta. I forget. There's two different ways of s saying their fusion. Um, <laughs> Vegito and Gogeta, but oh, okay. Vegito's the Patara earring one. Okay, and we get to see like these when they first do a fusion like that, there's always that little initial discovery where they're kind of getting used to their new body. And I love yeah. that that trend continues here. It's a very, very small thing, but it is attention to detail that is consistent with every other time a fusion has happened. And I'm glad they do it again. Even the naming, like when they fuse, they don't know their name. They have to come up with a name. And I think if I remember right, one of the gods or one of the angels or somebody in the stands comes up with the name Kefla. It might even have been Kaba, mm -hmm. um, but somebody else says it. Somebody else basically names them more or less, which is kind of cool. Yeah. And I just I love that after they fuse and it's been ruled legal, all the gods are looking at each other and, and yeah. the universes are debating, like, should we fuse <laughs> this character or that character? How would this one work? Like, there's this big disc. I think um, even one of the universes, they go to throw their Patara earrings down and like they get interrupted in the middle of the process. And the earrings actually get destroyed. And it's kind of a cause for panic at that point. But it's it's I love it because it is exactly what I would expect a bunch of. Well, they're gods, but they're they're much more uh, mortal than I think that they would like to admit. So it, it's fun seeing the bickering. Absolutely. I love it. Our Universe 7 uh, talks about who they would fuse. They even talk about fusing 17 and 18. And Krillin's like, nah, man, that's my wife, which is kind <laughs> of funny. Um, uh. But Beerus basically ends up deciding no fusion because they're worried that if their fused uh, fighter gets knocked out, they're losing two fighters for one. And so that's his rationale is that he doesn't want to lose the numbers, basically. I mean, I will say if 17 and 18 fused, um, 
there wouldn't be much of a change in the visual department because <laughs> they are twins. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't even know how you would make that work. Be... <laughs> and I don't know that we've ever seen cross gender fusion either. I, I have no clue. It blows my mind. We're not going there. Nope. No. Nope. Nope. That's a. That's another episode. <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh, jeez. Yeah. So, um. Anyway, um. So we get uh, Kefla and Goku. They're duking it out, and we actually see that Kefla's so powerful that she's able to push back Goku even in his Super Saiyan God form. And so this is really, and Kefla hasn't gone Super Saiyan or anything no. at this point. This is just base form fusion Kefla just beating back Super Saiyan God level Goku. And honestly, this to me, this makes sense because we've seen this happen a lot of other times with fusion where just the 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 parts come together and you have this insanely powerful warrior. Yeah. I I think there's even dialogue in here that expresses that when two fighters fuse, they're not even combining their power together, but they're almost like multiplying it. So yeah, yeah, if the much if the, stronger. If the two warriors are very compatible or or close in some nature, then the fusion becomes exponentially more powerful. Right, right. And so that's kind of what we get to see here. There is a little snippet that cuts away from this fight that I wanted to bring up just because I thought it was funny. Uh, but it's with 17 and 18 where 17 saves 18 from, I think his name is Catopestra. He's basically like a like a Power Ranger guy, more or less. Uh, and Catopestra, when 17 grabs his fist, uh, Catopestra getting ready to deliver a punch to 18, 17, or Catopestra says, when did you get here, foul villain? And 17's reply is, says the guy in a mask about to punch a lady in the face. <laughs> and I, eight or 17, where I love uh, Freeze's dialogue, 17 might be my next favorite because 17 gets some fun, punchy lines like that, which are pretty entertaining. When the androids get into the, uh, the, the role play element of them being oh villains, God. it is so good. And I appreciate every moment of it. I've got notes about that coming up later, too. Mm. I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so we get um, uh, the, the fight between Goku and Kefla is pretty one-sided, and Goku actually kicks it all the way up to Super Saiyan Blue. He's able to achieve his, his top form at this point, but we also see that Kefla is able to go up to Super Saiyan form. So yeah. things are getting interesting, and... um. Well, I'll I'll let you take it from here because I have some thoughts about this fight, but they're I don't know I I'd like to hear what you think first. Okay, I've got a couple of notes here. I did put so one I wanted to mention that the animation here is not as polished as it was in the last episode. Uh, and however, I did want to note that the we haven't brought it up yet, and I I think I just noticed it in this episode, and it might have been in earlier episodes. The music phenomenal i oh. love the music in this episode <laughs> i should have been paying attention to that it's it's one of those things where when the music is good you sometimes don't even notice it exactly and there are a lot of times in super where i notice they reuse that same like sad violin music and then i'm just like oh okay yeah all right but when you don't notice the music and it's fitting the scene and it's kind of driving everything forward that's when the music is perfect and so you're right I don't actually have very many notes about the music in 
and actually all of my notes about this episode. So I think like that's one thing I have to give a shout out to is that the the music fit the theme pretty much the whole way through. So definitely props out to the music. You're absolutely right on that. Yeah, I I just wanted to bring it up briefly at least because I think a lot of the music in earlier Super was not good in my opinion. Tournament of Power music, fantastic. Blows it out of the water. Um, so they did a great job with that. But we basically get in the fight here. Uh, there's, I have some notes about uh, Goku even goes so far as to use Super Saiyan Blue Kaioken to defend against a key blast. Uh, Kefla fakes out Goku with a key attack and then kicks him out of Super Saiyan Blue. And then she fires a key barrage at Goku uh, that he ends up deflecting at the tail end of the episode here with as he once again takes on the ultra instinct omen form and kefla ends up repeating another key blast barrage that goku dodges effortlessly and that kind of wraps up the episode um but i did put in here that there was multiple instances of recycled animation in a single episode which i was not pleased with yeah, that that's why I wanted your take first is because it's I wanted you to mention something in case maybe I'd missed it before I brought up kind of my couple little critiques of it. There's a couple of recycled animations. Um, a number of the exchanges are just kind of blurred fists being thrown at each other. And yeah. I don't like that. I'd rather have less fighting, but more quality fighting. And so I don't like it when it's just kind of blurred fists, just kind of on rinse and repeat and going. Also, in a lot of these exchanges, the background is just streaky energy waves. Oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. And yeah, those are like, you can tell they're kind of cutting the time or the budget when they use those. Um, and I yeah, just, they're pretty common. And especially because there are some, especially earlier in Super, they fight in some really, really like, well, we've seen kind of the backgrounds before, but we we fight in some landscapes where they take a lot of time to make sure they remind you of where they're at. Kind of like the Rocky Barons when they first fought Black or actually the Black Arc when I bring up again, when they're in kind of the, the ruined city. I yeah. like seeing that background there when they're fighting because it kind of reminds you of the stakes and where they're at. And it's just it's that little extra attention to detail that I super appreciate that in this fight, I felt like a lot of that was cut out. Yeah. Fortunately, I think moving forward, they're going to change that because the next episode, if I remember right, phenomenal. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's just go into it. Um, yeah. The Comeback Omen, Ultra Instinct's Great Explosion. And we get a little scene with Frieza being Goku's best free, uh, cheerleader, where Frieza says, <laughs> that's right, Goku, keep getting stronger. Be your best ape. And I, oh, good guy, Frieza. I'm glad that you made note of Frieza's dialogue because I basically just made a mental note that his dialogue was excellent, but I didn't actually write any down. See, um, while you were taking notes about all the important stuff and the quality and music, <laughs> I was just taking down Frieza dialogue. So we'll, we complement each other very well. That's right. That's perfect. We're like a perfect peanut butter and jelly Dragon Ball sandwich. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but this episode basically starts off with Goku... Uh, in Ultra Instinct Omen and Kefla now in either Super Saiyan or Legendary Super Saiyan question mark. <laughs> um, but they they both are powering up. Uh, we get Kefla um, almost immediately going into what is Super Saiyan 2. 
Um, and I think even Kaba makes a comment about it. And I I did write down one of Kefla's lines here because in my opinion, this is very meta and is kind of poking <laughs> fun at itself mm-hmm. where she says, oh, this feels great. It's a real privilege to be born a Saiyan. <laughs> Oh <laughs> God! Oh, I, no. thought, I thought that was brilliant, like oh. making fun of itself just a little bit. <laughs> Talk about just hitting the nail square on with that one. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I was dying. I was like, oh man, yeah. All the humans on the sidelines right now are probably like, yeah, yeah. I'm sure it's real great. <laughs> Ain't that freaking right? Gohan's only half relevant right now. <laughs> I just had to write that down. I thought that was hilarious. Oh, that's funny. Some... <laughs> I wonder. <laughs> I wonder if that's a kind of a a joke put in by the uh, the dub team or not. I hope so because it feels very much like it's making fun of itself. So because they de- they definitely um put in some some pretty meta jokes this time. They they I think they took. In some areas, too many liberties with their dubs, but they they definitely had fun this time around. Yeah, yeah, and there's there's some we've n- mentioned it before, like uh, unleash uh, your Shenron. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> or even Chris Sabat kind of making fun of either Piccolo or Vegeta's acting skills when they're both voiced <laughs> by Chris Sabat. I will never get, I will never forget that one. That one's hilarious. It, it is funny. <laughs> That's the proper right, or I guess amount of meta though, where you have to yeah. know to get it. <laughs> exactly, but. We basically get this uh, fight continuing with Kefla now in Super Saiyan 2 form, uh, pretty much matching Goku, but Goku's got the edge here. Goku is able to dodge pretty much all of Kefla's attacks with very little movement. We get a really cool shot where Kefla throws a key barrage at Goku as he kind of like jumps off of the plateau, and then Goku digs his feet into the wall and bends over backwards, kind of Matrix dodging the blast. And I thought that was so cool. I got super giddy watching it. Actually, yeah, I do have a note here that the um, the later half of this episode with the fighting is animated so freaking well. This is a yeah. very nice battle to watch. And once again, it's one of those things where it feels like there's very thoughtful, well-animated, like, animation sprinkled across a lot of these earlier episodes in in the tournament of power arc it's not everywhere you're not finding very many full fights where everything's great you're finding like sequences or half of battles or conclusions that are very good there's um uh a a scene where goku is dancing around beams of energy firing off from uh kefla and he's charging up a kamehameha using the kamehameha wave to slide across the key like it's this stuff looked very, very good. This is the kind of thing I wanted with like Hit and Jiren, but at least yeah. we got it with Goku and Kefla. Absolutely. Uh, and I, that, the part that you're talking about kind of like is where we resolve the conflict here. Oh, sorry. I, wanna... I, think, I think I pushed ahead really far because that part was really good. <laughs> it's okay. I love that part and I definitely want to talk about that more. Um, but there's leading up to that, we basically get like Goku punches Kefla and there's a, uh, he uses like this kind of invisible air punch to knock her away. But there's a lot of talk, uh, a lot of exposition here stating that Goku's attacks are not very strong. And I think even Whis is the one who explains that Goku's still thinking too much when he attacks. And so he basically has to let go to be able to have uh, powerful attacks using Ultra Instinct. Uh, and so this kind of leads up to 
Kefla's rage key lasers as she's, you know, she's basically being beat by Goku, but Goku can't get a finishing blow because of this problem with Ultra Instinct and him thinking too much. Uh, and so Kefla powers up and just unleashes all of her key in these um, bouncing lasers. And it's such a cool scene that Dayton was kind of getting at where Goku is leaping and dodging these. We see the lasers like touch his hair and touch his arm. Uh, and he's charging up the Kamehameha the whole way. And he's leaping between rubble and uh, all these different pieces. And then we get the amazing scene of Goku being midair where he, Kefla basically says, well, there's no flying and you're in midair, so you can't dodge this. And she fires this huge key blast right at him. And he just basically like flips in midair, grinding with his Kamehameha in hand against the key blast and fires off what is maybe one of the coolest Kamehamehas in all of Dragon Ball. You get to see him kind of like pop off the end and just turn his whole body towards her and just blast away. And it just, it looks and feels absolutely incredible, fluid, and like it, I, I couldn't imagine a better, well, no, no offense or no spoilers or anything, but a better <laughs> ending to this fight. Just because it looked so goddamn good. I can't believe how good this... And honestly, this fight is not really like um like really important to the story and the Tournament of Power or anything like that. This right. is just a fight between Saiyans. So it's a personal point at best. And it, this ending to it is just animated out of this world good. It's rewatch this episode if you haven't seen it in a while because it looks very, very good. Yeah, it's incredible. I honestly, the only other Kamehameha that I could think of, I was trying to think of a list in my head. The only other one that I think might be cooler than this, like visually it's good, but just cool factor is maybe the instant transmission Kamehameha with Goku against Cell, where Ooh. he blows Cell's head off. Um, that's the only other one that I could think of that is like, maybe cooler than this one, but they're close. That one I'm going to give it for uh, for the times because we had not seen that up yeah. till that point. So it would just, it like blew my mind when it happened. Well, probably blew Cell's mind more, but hey. it, def it, <laughs> <laughs> it blew my mind when it happened. The animation on this whole sequence leading up to that point is also good though. It's so good great. animation followed up by good animation by good finish. And so when you've got several pieces working together like that, I might have to say this is, I mean, yeah, it's one of the best Kamehameha's I think I've seen in, in Dragon Ball. It is phenomenal. Easy. Yeah, so good. And again, uh, I think the music is the same as the last episode. Fucking perfect. It, it, it really, it, it elevates this scene to be even better. So phenomenal job. I love this episode. <laughs> just that. That's why I like, I have like a couple sparse notes and then just me gushing about the end of the episode. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Me too. Um, but basically Goku blasts Kefla out of the ring. I believe that the Patara earrings are shattered by the, the power uh, and it reverts Khalifa and Kale back to their um, separate forms. And we get to see them kind of in the stands and that leaves uh, universe six with just two fighters. If I remember right, the two Namekians. Mm -hmm. So the fate of the universe pretty much, or their universe just lies on them. And I believe 
That leads us into episode 117, a grand showdown of love, the artificial humans versus universe two. Yeah. So this, this is an interesting one. This basically is androids 17 and 18 against Ribrianne. And I forgot to look up her name. I called her Ninja girl, but it's the <laughs> other fighter from universe two. Is it Rosie? Uh, it might be Rosie. I think you're right. I think it is. Rosie. She's the one who can redirect energy. Yeah. Okay. Yep. yep. Got you. Nice. Yeah. So, uh, Ribrianne and Rosie, basically 17 and 18 kind of step in to save Goku from universe two. Uh, we get some fun combo moves between 17 and 18. Uh, 17 comes in here and saves 18 a couple of times, even setting up Rosie to get hit by Ribrianne's attack that 18 ends up dodging uh, and then blasting Rosie completely out of the arena. I'm kind of speeding through this one. I, my notes were short for this one. Did you have anything else for this, Dayton? Uh, the, I mean, really the only thing I care about in this episode is uh, this is where Vegeta attempts to clear his mind and reach Ultra Instinct. And so <laughs> Vegeta encounters another uh, very much inferior warrior to in Vegeta, but he sees that Goku achieved Alter Instinct, and he thinks back to all the advice that Whis had been giving them, and he mentions that in order to achieve the next level, you have to let go of all those thoughts and let your body act on his own, and Whis even mentions, Vegeta, you have this problem in particular. And so Vegeta clears his mind and goes into a battle with this other warrior, and um, <clears throat> he doesn't quite achieve Alter Instinct doing this. <laughs> Instead, he gets his face beaten repeatedly for about a minute or two until he gets too pissed off to keep doing that and just does screams out, I'm just going to do things my own way and beats the crap out of this other fighter. I'm so glad that you, all of your notes have basically covered all of the good stuff that I did not take notes on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I love that part. And I love that Vegeta is saying that he's going to go his own path. And anybody who's read the manga like the most recent stuff in the manga knows that we get some payoff for that too. Ooh. But we also kind of wrap up the fight with Ribrianne here. So she, uh, Rosie gets knocked out. Ribrianne, uh, there's a really funny point in here for me where Ribrianne is basically chiding 18 when she finds out that 18 is married to Krillin and she says something to the effect of how could you love someone so ugly? <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't even have a nose. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh. um, and so Ribrianne powers up and she turns into what I dubbed a love Kaiju where she's gigantic. Um, and there's actually the fight here at the very end with this love Kaiju Ribrian is actually really well animated. It's super fun. I actually really did enjoy it. Yeah. And so we get, uh, 18 uses her love for Krillin. Interestingly enough to break free of Ribrian's like love technique that was trapping her. And with help from 17, they basically like get this cool sequence of, punching Ribrian's hand, breaking her arm in pieces, and then running up her other arm, uh, dodging, or actually 17 blocks one of these blasts from Ribrian's eyes or mouth with his shield, and then 18 gets to deliver the final blow, blasting a hole through Ribrian's head, uh, and basically just 
beating her and knocking her out of the arena, which I thought was, it, it looks great. It was really, I was impressed by the fight. It was super fun. Also, it gave me like a little bit of a Attack on Titan vibe. So I also enjoyed that. <laughs> it definitely felt like that too. Uh, but I, I like that they were also throwing in some diversity there. And I was, I'm not going to lie, as much as I like uh, the kind of trope breaking Ribrianne and her other magical girls, I was glad to see her get knocked out of the ring. Oh, she God. stayed way too long. <laughs> that joke died forever ago. So it's about time we're done with it. Yeah. But I think that pretty much takes us to the next episode. Yeah, that's going to be episode 118, Accelerating Drama, A Universe Vanishes. Uh Uh-oh. So the episode starts off with the remnants of Universe 2's warriors surrounding Goku. And uh, just like how the girls had a magic transformation, the remaining boys also go through a magic transformation. And uh, we get 17 and 18 stepping in, and they begin role-playing the villains that Universe 2 claims they are. I love this. I love... So we kind of already saw 17 do this a little bit earlier. So when he really takes the role again and starts just kind of saying like, yes, I am the bad guy who is here to defeat you. <laughs> we're kind of like, okay, this is fun. Uh, but then 18 joins in on it and you're like, what? <laughs> and again, and I'm Goku. <laughs> <laughs> See, this is one of, in my opinion, one of the best uses of dumb Goku throughout all of Super. Like, yes. <laughs> one of the best dumb Goku jokes in all of the writing here. I loved this one. It was great. <laughs> it, it, it felt right on. Like, it's... <laughs> I laughed at it, and that's... All right, I give them credit where credit's due. They made a, a good funny there. Yeah, that was good. Um, but basically, we get these transformed love guys from Universe 3 using this love vortex black hole attack thing that they throw on our Universe 7 fighters, Goku 17 and 18. Uh, and they are basically, they're trapped in there. They can't move. Even Goku can't even use his instant transmission to get out of it, which is, you know, pretty telling. I don't have no, much notes about this because I didn't care. Um, so let me know when you get to the Gohan and Piccolo stuff. Basically, Goku uses Super Saiyan Blue Kamehameha to blast his way out of this, uh, basically saying that his power is rage, and uh, he knocks these guys out of the ring. The only cool thing, well, we'll get to it. That basically leads us into Gohan and Piccolo versus the Namekians. Do you want to take over with that? Yeah, sure. So we get, um, like Todd was saying, Gohan and Piccolo, they're scoring off against Universe 6's Namekians. And we kind of get this cool little reveal that Universe 6, all of their Namekians combined into two Ultra Warriors to fight for the safety of their universe. And yeah, my first thought was, man, I, I wonder if they regret doing that now after the Tournament of Power. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Or they could have even fused to be one. That's true. They could have been just one super warrior. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, they're they're fighting these two. And there's a couple interesting scenes where we get to see kind of Piccolo when when he kind of comes in contact with one of them. You can almost see like the dark figures of all the Namekians that were fused and are kind of in the background of one of the fighters. And he can actually kind of feel and see kind of the sacrifice that they had made. And there's a point where Piccolo is knocked down and you get to see kind of the image of uh, Kami and um, Nail, Nail kind of standing around him and kind of pointing him forward sort of thing. And I do 
I do like that the it's almost like the the people that the Namekians have fused with, they kind of remain there. They kind of help guide them and watch over them sort of thing. That's kind of the vibe <laughs> I got from that. Um I'm however just having thinking about the team four star guys. Oh god. Talking in Piccolo's <laughs> head. Sorry. Continue. Wait, there's a pool table in there. <laughs> <laughs> So good. <laughs> I can only imagine how loud it would be having half a planet in your head, but you know, good luck to them. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> oh shoot. But yeah, I it's kind of this cool thing where, you know, you get to see Piccolo kind of pointed forward and you see Gohan kind of standing in front of him. And you I I like the relationship between Gohan and uh Piccolo, and it's not always depicted well in in Super. It's kind of ham fisted sometimes, but it, it felt pretty yeah. good here. Yeah, I, w- I would definitely agree with you on that. Um, the fight here is pretty cool, too. I, I I like that they... We kind of forget about Kami and Nail, too. So I, I like that they, they they don't do much here, but they at least give you that cool visual. Uh, and then we get to see basically the, um, the... Oh, I'm sorry. So Gohan here ends up saving Piccolo... Uh, they end up making a plan to charge a special beam cannon uh, for Piccolo to charge the beam cannon while also, Gohan is, takes on both That's of becoming them. a meme to me. Here, Piccolo I'll distract ch- them while Piccolo charges up a technique. <laughs> Since the Raditz days. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, all right, guys, can we stop doing that? <laughs> um, but yeah, basically, Gohan gets into trouble and Piccolo has to fire off his blast prematurely. Did you Ew. want to take over for the... The fight notes, did you have more about that? Um, I don't have a ton of fight mo- notes other than j- that just... It wasn't a long fight, but the exchanges felt like animated not well, but thoughtfully. So yes. everything that they did, it felt like there was a purpose to what they were animating. And I want to point that out because it's... You don't have to animate something well as long as you put a lot of effort into how you're animating it. And I really want to point that out. It's not... This isn't winning any awards. This isn't my favorite scene in Super. But they really thought about like the way that they were going to animate things and the way that things looked. And I thought it was well done for not being what felt like a plus team effort. The way that I kind of make that distinction, at least when I'm writing my notes down, is that sometimes the animation is mediocre, but what I would call the fight choreography is top notch. Like this one has good fight choreography, even if the animation is, it's not bad, but it's not amazing that we see in some of the other scenes or some of the other fights. I think that's a good way to put it where they, each of the attacks and techniques feel weighty, even though they don't look phenomenal. It's I like, honestly, I enjoyed watching this fight. I thought it was well done. And you know, that's honestly, if they would cut out most of the other poorly choreographed and animated scenes and put more stuff like this in, I honestly would have enjoyed a lot of things that I had critiqued earlier because this, if you're not going to put your A team on something, do it like this. This was so well done. I agree. I I think uh, the either the directing or the storyboarding or however they did this was really well done. I mean, I took notes on most of the the details of the fight because I thought it was so well done. Uh, where basically they Gohan gets into trouble, Piccolo fires off the special beam cannon prematurely um, to save Gohan, and then Gohan's like, "All right, I can do this right." Uh, so let's do it one more time. And the second time that Piccolo charges a special beam cannon, Gohan's able to fend them off. However, up to a point where 
Gohan's in a beam struggle with the larger Namekian. Uh, Gohan had basically lined up both Namekians for his Kamehameha. Uh, Gets into a beam struggle with the larger one behind the smaller one. The smaller one pushes through Gohan's Kamehameha, grabbing Gohan and getting ready to attack him. And that's when Piccolo fires off his fully charged special beam cannon, blasting a hole through both Namekians, having had them lined up because Gohan had set it up that way. And then Gohan's Kamehameha knocks them out of the arena, kind of finishing the the attack. Um, great combo movement. I love this fight. It's really well done. It, and like I said, it's enjoyable too. And it's also, nothing in here is like feels not Dragon Ball, right? Like they're both using techniques they use. The decisions that you see the fighters making make sense. Um, I enjoyed it. I really did enjoy it. That and it's, Gohan and Piccolo, I think, are underserved characters, and I love seeing them get the limelight. True. And it's not always about winning the tournament. It's about following the struggle of different characters. And seeing them overcome this felt really good. I'm I'm really happy with the the way that they did Gohan and Piccolo here. I think it did do them justice. It's like in the Frieza arc earlier on, I was not happy with it. They definitely redeemed themselves here. I agree. Uh, unfortunately, the next episode, I'm going to have some complaints about what they do with Piccolo. I don't know. But... I, I haven't read ahead. What's going on next episode? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we'll we'll get to that. Um, I did want to point out at the very tail end of this episode, though, they we basically get both Universe 2. Oh, actually, 2, uh, because I, I was going to bring it up earlier, but when Goku fires off his Kamehameha to defeat uh, the love guys from Universe 2... <laughs> Uh, yeah, the love guys. I don't remember their names. Yeah, um, go on. <laughs> but uh, they they actually synchronize it in the episode. We kind of divided up those two fights, but they synchronize it in the episode where Goku's firing off his Kamehameha at the same time that Gohan's firing off his Kamehameha, which is kind of a... Not only is it fun visually, but it's a cool little throwback to the father-son Kamehameha as well. I don't know. Um, I think... Piccolo firing off his technique with Gohan is more of a father-son scenario than, <laughs> than what you're describing. I mean, you got me there. I can't really argue. <laughs> Dad, what? <laughs> Don't oh, make God. me come over there and take care of your real dad. <laughs> as, as our podcast goes on, if you haven't seen Team Four Star, it's going to get more and more confusing. Uh, so many, so many... Dragon Ball Z abridged jokes. Maybe uh, we will, like Dayton said, review some of that stuff later because it's fantastic. I mean, I don't know um, if I can take notes. I'll be too busy laughing. <laughs> but there's just a little snippet at the end of this because Universe 2 and Universe 6 have lost all of their fighters at this point. And so they're getting ready to be eliminated. And there's what is kind of like both a funny and sweet and heartfelt moment uh, where the Namekians have been knocked back to the the uh the bleachers and Khalifla has been yelling at them like hey if you guys lose this fight i'm gonna knock the crap out of you and then Khalifla ends up saying like well you guys fought pretty well but you still lost the fight so she ends up chasing them around <laughs> a the, promise the is a promise yeah <laughs> and they're like oh we got a hole in our stomachs so she's like i don't care and we also um, get to see a moment between um uh beerus and uh champa champa where right. just before Champa's erased, he says, hey, Beerus. 
and Beerus kind of looks over and Champa pauses for a moment and then sticks out his tongue and Tom taunts him just before he's eliminated from existence. And it's kind of this yeah. weird, like, like it's funny, but at the same time, it's like it adds a little bit more weight to what just happened because it, it makes you feel for Champa just before the consequences hit. It's a great moment because it's it's very telling of the type of relationship that Champa and Beerus have together as brothers. And you also get to see Beerus. Beerus doesn't turn completely to face Champa. He's looking at Champa, but he won't turn and face the reality that is Champa being erased. And Beerus also doesn't show any emotion, but he gets, I, I think he gets a, a brief snippet of dialogue there. And you get the impression that he's, he's not pleased with Champa being erased. Like he's, he's just not showing it completely. Uh, and then there's, because Kaba gets erased, um, we get to see Kaba say, you know, reflecting on Vegeta's teaching. And then the episode completely ends with Vegeta getting ready to beat in Catopestra's face uh, and says something about, this isn't your fault. I'm just in a really bad mood right now. <laughs> and it, I love that. It, it's, I mean, man, it's it's kind of having some weight that you wouldn't really associate with Dragon Ball, but just the the relationship between Chapa and Beerus is just, it's complex, but it's fully understandable. And then I can't even imagine what it would be like to watch your brother just be erased from existence like that. And so I think they did a good job with it. It's very subtle. It's not over the top. And both characters acted exactly how I would have expected them to. Because, I mean, Chapa basically had like three seconds of existence left. And how did he use it? By giving, like, by getting Beerus's attention, sort of thing, being like, I'm going to recognize you. I have three seconds left to exist. I'm recognizing you. I think that's, there's a lot of weight to that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a really great character moment, really great emotional moment. And we kind of end that episode on that, moving us into the next episode, which is 119, unavoidable, the fierce stealth attack. Um, uh, yeah. This is an episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, we basically get uh, Universe 4, uh, their remaining fighters against Universe 7, our our protagonists. And they begin with the, the Invisible Man. Basically, he nearly knocks off Vegeta after Vegeta knocks off Catopestra. Uh, Gohan actually does get knocked off, but gets saved by Piccolo's stretchy arms, which is important later. Uh, and then Gohan uses rock dust by blowing up the rocks to uh, pick out the invisible man, and they end up knocking him out. I'm kind of speeding through this because I'm fine with silly. it. Um, <laughs> the only relevant thing that happens is that um, uh, basically Universe Four is eliminated. Yeah, they <laughs> they have an illusion man. Piccolo beats him. They have a bug man. This is the part that bothers me, though. So Piccolo attacks, sensing the energy of the bug man. He misses and then he gets knocked from the arena and gets eliminated. So Piccolo here gets eliminated. Piccolo just saved Gohan using his stretchy arms. Why didn't Piccolo save himself using his stretchy arms? Oh, don't ask questions that you don't want the answer to. That's my response to that. On top of the fact that 17 beat the bug by using his hearing. Piccolo has 
heightened hearing. <laughs> I did notice that. Yeah, that's ah. really bad. Because especially when you think back to, um, and they've done this before, when Trunks first showed up and he was talking to Goku off to the side, they were like hundreds of yards away from the rest of the Z fighters, and Piccolo was able to pick up the entire conversation from over there. The entire yeah. conversation. And they were being kind of hush-hush. So that tells me that Piccolo has not just heightened hearing, but phenomenal hearing, and he couldn't figure it out. Yeah. Let's also say, so Piccolo is always verbally treated as being like a intelligent fighter and a tactician. And this really undermines Piccolo being a intelligent tactical fighter, which it really does. Uh, drives me nuts. Like I love, like you said, Dayton, I love how they really gave respect to Gohan and Piccolo in the last episode. And then they, uh, they really ruin Piccolo's credibility as a fighter in this episode by knocking him out the way that they did. And I, it, it, it's it just a throwaway, me. right? It's just a throwaway. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, but that's, that's my gripe about this one. Basically Goku shakes the ground. 17 knocks the bug out. Uh, universe four gets eliminated and that leaves us only with three universes. We've got universe three, our guys in universe seven and universe 11 with Jiren and the pride troopers. Um, actually I think I've got a list here. Universe seven has Goku, Vegeta, Gohan, Frieza, 17 and 18. Now that Piccolo's knocked out. So six, uh, universe three has four robots and then the purple doctor who is i think dr paparoni or something uh, yep later. i got that name down because i laughed the first time i heard it that was pretty funny <laughs> and then universe 11 has jiren dispo and top and that's basically what we've got moving into the next episode which is uh let's see here we are going into episode 120 a perfect survival strategy, Universe 3's menacing assassins. And so, we see Universe 3 starting to gather the remaining forces, and they're getting ready to go on the offensive. Uh, robots go, is what I have uh, written down here. I don't uh, have much for this. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, I, I don't have a lot of notes for this, just because it's... At this point, I'm waiting for the final battle, and so yeah. these kind of... Like, I'm over the build-up battles at this point. I will say that the shaky cam in this episode is the most intense it's ever been. Oh my god, there's so much shaky cam. Interesting. I did not notice that, but I, I believe you for sure. The only thing that I had of note in here is that I thought it was kind of fun seeing the androids fight the robots. Uh, that was kind of a neat little synergy there. Yeah, they um, kind of step in so that way Goku and Vegeta can recover some energy, right? Exactly. And the we get gohan fighting the robots gohan basically says that he's going to uh do that part to help goku and vegeta save energy uh and then the robots combine which i the only thing i like about this in particular is that it's very reminiscent of the pilaf gang in the original dragon ball because they had their robots that would combine together to create one big robot oh uh, i thought it was a voltron reference okay i guess that makes sense this is all probably connected to voltron and all that <laughs> as well um, but Goku and Vegeta jump in, uh, Gohan charges a Kamehameha while the robot's distracted. Uh, they don't beat anybody in this episode. Uh, basically, Dr. Paparoni steps in, or Paparoni, and uh, he says he has a secret technique, and that's kind of where the episode ends. Yes, and then we move into episode 121, All Out War, the ultimate four-way combo versus Universe 7's total offensive. 
and we get to see Dr. Paparoni uh, fuse with the Voltron or something, and we get some sort of super monster. Uh, also, it has radar and can punch through portals. Yeah, uh, this episode honestly gets more respect in the animation department than I was expecting. Uh, <laughs> yes, but it's it basically... does. <laughs> it's not their it, it's not their A team, but it's definitely their B team, if you ask me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but it's I think the the it's basically a big kaiju monster, and I think his name is a- Anyalaza or something close to that. Um, the character design looks like something that you would see out of GT, and I don't mean that in a positive way. <laughs> it, it does not look very good. Uh, it honestly reminds me of the TV special guy that you get from the or from the TV special plan to eradicate the Saiyans. It looks a lot like that guy too. It, I mean, it's um, definitely one of those like, cool. Can't wait to forget about that monster later. <laughs> yeah. And they totally stole, I mean, it's Toei animation. They stole their own, uh, movie gimmick of Janemba from movie 12 of, uh, being able to like punch or attack through portals, um, which is cool. I love it. I love it in Janemba. But it's 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 kind of mad on this guy. There are so many moments in this show where they have this cool surface level idea that never gets explored any deeper. Like, I wish they would have had fewer fighters and just explored that more like the the sniper team. OK, what else can these guys do together other than that guy firing a shot into him that he redirects like, all right, you yeah. guys, you guys know your roles. Like, what else do you do within that role? There's a really cool idea somewhere in there, but it's not explored. And this is another example of that. We've got this big super monster can punch through portals and has radar ears. Well, that's the whole thing. That's the whole fight. Nothing else. Yeah, this this episode honestly is skippable in my mind. The only the, the important thing here, though, or one of the important things, I guess, is that 17 gets knocked out initially uh, by Anya Laza and 18 leaps out of the arena to grab 17 and then push him launch him back in basically getting knocked out herself instead of 17 which is a big deal coming up later we all those of us who have seen it know it's okay 18 had a, a, a little her ankle so she couldn't fight to her full ability which honestly <laughs> i didn't bring that up earlier but that really bothered me that just she had some off-screen injury that and it's also the type of injury that no one else has ever been hurt by before so it really bothered me that they kind of shoehorned it in but that that's a whole different thing yeah, I can't argue with that. I do feel like 18 got a decent amount of time in the tournament to shine, though. I mean, better than Krillin and Tien. So. Yeah, I mean, half of her times were just her being saved by another dude. So it just, it Ooh. really did bother me. <laughs> That's a good point. I didn't think about that. You're right. I, mm, yes. <laughs> yeah, and I'm, you know, I don't care who saves who, but when a character is just repeatedly being saved, it does bother me. Like your entire screen time is someone sticking up for you and just, uh, if I'm a fan of that character, I want that character to be a badass and not defended by somebody else. That's true. I guess one of her biggest moments to shine was against uh, was against Rebrian, which was kind of cool. But a lot of the other times, she was just being saved. Her teamwork with Seventeen was really fun against giant Rebrian. So I did I did like that. But there were quite a few times where it was just like, you know, oh my ankle hurts, or oh no, you're gonna punch me in the face, and someone has to step in. Yeah, and so I think. That more or less ends this episode. Uh, they, well, basically they end up uh, using a combined key blast with everybody remaining on Universe 7. Uh, 17 punches through the key blast using his shield, really well animated, uh, punches the kaiju in the brain, uh, and they 
push the kaiju out because that was where his uh, power source was. <laughs> it was in his and, head. He got bopped in the head and couldn't fight anymore. Yeah, don't play whack-a-mole with this guy. Um, but that basically eliminates Universe 3, and that kind of wraps up that episode for us. Yeah, and I think... um. So now we're we're almost two thirds of the way through the second part of uh, the Tournament of Power, and this kind of middle portion I thought was pretty good. Like I, it feels like things are getting better. I did not really like the first portion. This middle portion, there's some nicely animated little sequences between the characters. We get to see some fun teamwork between different characters. I thought it was I thought it was pretty good. I think it's it's definitely got some really good highs, like with Kefla is whew, one of my favorites. Yes. Um, it also has some lows, like when Piccolo gets knocked out. Uh, so it, I would I would agree with you. I think that it's pretty good overall. There's almost no, I think there's maybe one or two episodes that I was like, ah, I could have done without that. Um, like this last one like, we just kind of talked about? Like this last one. <laughs> <laughs> no, it wasn't fantastic, but at least a good portion of the fighting in it was decently animated or at least choreographed. So it was enjoyable to watch at a bare minimum. Yeah, yeah, I very much agree. Uh, we This whole section, too, is basically without Jiren, which is interesting. But I think this next section, we're going to get some serious jiren action so. we are and let's not hesitate to jump into it because we're almost two hours in so episode yeah. 122 staking his pride vegeta challenges the strongest and uh yeah how about i let you take this one over because it's about your boy oh my god i love this episode uh so i wanted to point out there are this is another episode uh that has a lot of animation from Yuya Takahashi, especially in the second half with Vegeta against Jiren. But the the episode starts with Goku versus Jiren, uh, but Vegeta kind of butts into the fight, challenging Jiren. And Vegeta watches the punch pattern that Jiren uses against Goku and uses this to basically dodge all of Jiren's attacks and land a solid gut punch, um, which then turns into Vegeta driving Jiren back uh, countering his attacks, um, even dodging one and getting a nice solid gut kick in there. There's, after that, what is beautifully animated by Yu Yu Takahashi, this backflip sequence as uh, Vegeta gets punched away from Jiren. It looked fantastic. It looked really nice. So good, right? Where Vegeta backflips, uh, seamlessly goes into a beautiful Gallic gun attack. Um, gorgeous. Uh, and then Jiren basically moves through that pummeling Vegeta into the ground and then key blasting him where Vegeta is getting pushed out away towards the edge of the arena. And then we kind of get a cutaway to uh, Frieza and Dispo. Did you have anything to add to that, Dayton? Yeah. Part of my thing that I kind of had an issue with when I was taking notes in this whole thing is that there's a lot of flipping around through a lot of these episodes and a lot of posturing between different characters fighting another character and so there are a lot of moments in this where I would have to stop and be like, all right, so this person encountered this person. Do I take notes on this or is this just them looking at each other and then nothing's going to happen? And this is one of those moments where once again, I wasn't sure. And I just I wanted to bring that up because there are so many battles that look like were going to happen that didn't happen. And this kind of played into that a little bit for me. 
That's fair. The only thing that I do like about it is that it, it shows you that all this stuff is happening simultaneously and it feels like a big melee, like a big battle going on. But I, I definitely get your complaint where you're like, are we going to get more fighting here or is this just just showing us the characters again? Yep. <laughs> um, but there there's kind of a, I mean, a, a, there's a small sequence with Frieza and Dispo here, very well animated, where Frieza catches Dispo's hand with his tail and then Dispo's like, well, this is good for me. And Dispo drags Frieza through the rocks and smashes him into the rocks. Um, Frieza kind of getting, you know, taken to task here, which is, it's short, but it's, it looks beautiful. And it's kind of a buildup because in a, in a couple episodes, we'll see this starting to come to fruition just a little bit more. Yeah, definitely. There is a brief showing of uh, Top versus Gohan in 17 here. Uh, there's a, a very, again, beautifully animated Kamehameha from Gohan that does little damage to Top. Uh, and then a few combo moves from 17 and Gohan. And then we get into more of the meat with mm-hmm. Vegeta and Jiren. And uh, Vegeta manages to keep himself from being blasted off. And we get this great dialogue here between them where Jiren says, your fighting style reeks of arrogance. You think you're entitled to greatness. And Vegeta's response is, you say I'm arrogant, I say damn right. That's pride. Pride in the Saiyan I am. The mighty prince of the ultimate warrior race. And he continues to say, uh, kind of talking about the way that Goku's been fighting, but he's getting ready to charge up his final flash here. And he says, I won't surrender control. That's not the man I am. Let Kakarot have his ultra instinct, but I'm the one that's going to crush you, Jiren, and I'll do it my way. I love this so much. It's Mm. very Vegeta. It's very well animated. The dialogue is incredible. Chris Sabat's delivery as Vegeta fantastic and this final flash uh is just so good well vegeta even challenges jiren not to be a coward and to take it on head on and jiren actually just agrees to it so now we have vegeta putting together what is probably the biggest final flash he's ever done and then his toughest opponent just agreeing to take it head on it's it's a really fun sequence yeah, I I love this. Um, the uh, some people I think have kind of said that they don't like it because it's too similar to Vegeta's final flash against Cell, uh, but I don't think that takes away from it here. I mean, how many times have we seen Goku do a Kamehameha? Like, of course we're going to see Vegeta do you know big final flashes. It's one of his signature moves, so you it know, doesn't bother me. And and God, how many times have a character let another character power up or launch their attack or what happened. This kind of stuff happens all the time in Dragon Ball. Everybody wants to measure their power level against each other hey. to see who has the biggest. That's right. Get out your power, power level measuring sticks, everybody. Yeah. Whip out your power cell and let me feel it. Mm. <laughs> Punch me, you beautiful sane bastard. <laughs> Why didn't you guys tell me he was so handsome? <laughs> <laughs> but we do get to see Vegeta fire off his final flash. It does connect with Jiren. And as the smoke clears, Jiren is lying on the ground and we get an 
excellent shot of Vegeta, just his arrogant smile and Chris Sabat delivering a phenomenal, arrogant laughter in Vegeta's voice. And after that, shortly thereafter, Jiren gets back up, uh, his hand right in Vegeta's stomach, and he blasts Vegeta, getting this just awfully distorted Vegeta face uh, as he screams and the cries of pain. Again, Chris Sabat just killing it on the delivery here. And that pretty much wraps us up at the end there. Did you have more to say on that, Dayton? No, that, <clears throat> I mean, I think you covered it all pretty well. And like, like you said, the, the voice acting across this episode, just 10 out of 10, phenomenal. The delivery of everything is what makes this episode, I think, so incredible. I absolutely love it. And we all know that I'm a huge Vegeta fanboy, so I had to gush about this episode a little bit. So I believe that leads us into episode 123, Full body, spirit, and power unleashed, Goku and Vegeta. And at this point, Vegeta is all but defeated, and so Goku has to tag himself in. And we see Goku facing off against Jiren, trying to use mobility and instant transmission and other kind of probing techniques against Jiren. But all the while, you see him kind of dropping little energy droplets around him as the, the fighting starts to rage on. and what we come to find out is that Goku's been dropping little key mines kind of around here. And this is something I don't think we've seen this before, the, the key mine technique, or have we? Nothing that I can really think of. There might be something somewhat similar, but not quite in this method with the instant transmission and whatnot. And so we see after <laughs> Goku had tried these attacks and he backs off, and we see Jiren literally just walking through these key mines. So they're not really doing a whole lot. Um, but the battle is eventually pushed towards the edge of the arena. And we see this kind of exchange between Goku and Jiren where Goku kind of lifts up and you see him throw this multi-destructo disc, something that we had seen Krillin use much earlier in his spar against Goku. And Jiren, of course, dodges that, launches a hell of an attack on Goku. And just before like Goku looks like he's going to be beaten back and kind of take pretty nasty damage, we see those Destructo discs kind of fly back into the scene after being gone for a little bit, slice through the edge of the map, and Jiren is now cut off from the edge and starts to begin falling. And this is where Goku, I love the way that this looks, by the way. Goku yeah. instant transmissions over Jiren, does kind of like a bicycle kick, blasting Jiren down towards the, the I guess, the ring out area <laughs> off the edge of the map. And then gets himself back on, on the arena. And at this point, it kind of feels like Goku may have just beaten Jiren. There's kind of this momentary pause where it's just like, oh, wow. Goku just got the better of him. It's a really cool moment. And uh, I I made a note here kind of enlightening this for anybody who's ever played Super Smash Brothers <laughs> or knows the strategy. This feels like edge guarding in Super Smash Brothers where Goku was like on the edge and just kind of like down spiked Jiren to try to knock him out. It's it's really cool. It's a great move. Uh, and we also get to see Krillin being like, hey, Goku just ripped off my move. Good job. <laughs> what are you going to do? Beat me with your stolen techniques? Hey. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we after a brief moment of, oh, wow, Goku did well, we do get to see that Jiren has a way out of this. 
Uh, as he's falling, there's pieces of debris kind of falling down with him, and we get to see, and I feel like this is a trope at this point between anime or cinema or something like that, but we see Jiren kind of leaping from uh, piece of debris to piece of debris and kind of leaping his way back up to the edge of the map. And map, yeah, it is a video game. So <laughs> once he makes it back to the arena, there's kind of this brief moment with uh, Vegeta and Goku kind of um, getting themselves back together and kind of discussing their game plan. And the whole time you see off in the distance, there's kind of these explosions happening as Jiren begins making his way back towards them as he triggers each of those mines. And there seems to be no pause in his movement. Yeah, yeah. He just walks through like juggernauts, just not giving a care. And he ends up firing off some uh, laser punches at Goku as he kind of charges up a little bit and he he basically kind of scares the blue out of Goku as Goku kind of powers down into his base form um but eventually the the fight leads to Goku and Vegeta squaring off with Jiren where Goku goes up to blue and then into Kaioken blue and Vegeta he's imagining his promise to Kaba and in doing so, he kind of breaks through his limits here and he transforms into this, you know, deeper blue color. Uh, and a, a lot of the fan base this has kind of been dubbed Super Saiyan Royal Blue uh, or perfected Super oh, Saiyan geez. Blue. I can't keep track of all these forms. Come on. <laughs> you got to have a, a journal of all of his. <laughs> it'll be a long long journal but yeah this is his royal blue form now i want to talk about this a little bit because this it kind of has a feel or a look of like super vegeta when he gets out of the hyperbolic time chamber and goes to fight cell where vegeta's kind of like beefed up just a little bit um and i will say for this one in particular we talked about the aura for ultra instinct and how it's a little bit like too much this one is so over the top you can barely even see vegeta which is kind of a bummer um and the only other thing i, I want to hear your take on this dayton because for me uh, this transformation to me felt like a band-aid to satisfy vegeta fans and it, it feels like a half step transformation and it's Honestly, it's not really very satisfying, in my opinion. What did you think? I mean, <clears throat> it kind of goes into the same category as that that weird trunks, future trunks transformation, doesn't it? Where it's like, yeah, like it's in its own category of uh, this will probably never be relevant ever again after this. And on top of that, like it doesn't it doesn't make sense or really slot in anywhere. It's kind of for this one moment. And I don't think we're ever going to come back to this. I really don't. There might be a forced reference to it at some point in the future, but I don't think this really means anything. And I'm not sure where they're going to go with this from here, because I, I don't really imagine them having a, a long-term game plan for this. It felt like a power-up for the moment. Yeah. Yeah, it, it felt like, well, we gave Goku something cool. Let's give Vegeta something to satisfy people who like <laughs> Vegeta. And I was like, I am not satisfied. No, I wouldn't be either. I mean, especially when it's just, it's not even like a technique or anything. It's just whatever it is at that moment. It, it, I guess you could argue that it's just pure passion and power form. Yeah. And I, I mean, we've seen that from a lot of the Saiyans in this tournament, like powering up and transforming because of passion or struggle or whatever. And that's fine. But I don't know. It's, it's not one of my favorite transformations or 
moments for Vegeta, I guess. I mean, but, at this uh, point, it's Vegeta needs to learn a new technique. I don't know. Has he ever learned a new technique since we first saw him? I mean, he he comes out with new techniques. So like the Big Bang, when he came out and fought the androids, that was new. The Final Flash was new uh, when he used that against Cell. But he's... Uh, one of the interesting things about Vegeta to me is that he never has mentors or teachers. He just makes his own stuff up. Um, but yeah, those those couple of ones were new. Uh, okay, they're not the most interesting techniques in my opinion. I'm not, yeah, I won't argue with you there. <laughs> they're just key blasts. In a wave. Here's energy in a ball. Look, I've redefined fighting. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not yeah. like those techniques aren't as impactful as like Kaioken or instant transmission or that sort of thing, right? Like, sure, he's got his right. um you you could say the his uh final flash is his Kamehameha equivalent sort of thing. Um, maybe. Um and Big Bang is I don't know, a ball. I don't I don't know where to put that one, but he needs something that really defines him as a unique fighter. And I, I do don't think that his signature techniques as of this moment really define him. I very much agree with you. And also I'm going to say both to you and to the audience, read the manga because <laughs> I'm not reading it. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> because we get some unique stuff for Vegeta and I love it. Um, <laughs> But that basically takes us, I think, to the next episode on 124, if I'm not mistaken. Um, there is one little note have... that's funny in here is that uh, Goku and Vegeta kind of start teaming up to fight Jiren. And they're actually doing fairly well because of their inability to properly work together. And it makes them hard to read. Yeah, I forgot about that. I think either Whis or Beerus mentions that. And it's uh, it's pretty comical because they're not great at working together, but it's messing up Jiren. <laughs> I, I thought that was kind of funny where it's just like, oh, this is obviously an opening. And then no, no, <laughs> no one capitalized. <laughs> it just made me laugh because it just it's fitting. It's very appropriate. Um, but I think we kind of continue the fight in that next episode. Yes, um, which is episode 124, a stormy, fierce attack. Gohan fights with his back to the wall. And we, uh, this is where we get Frieza and Dispo finally kicking up their fighting a little bit. We get to see Dispo pushing his speed even further and even landing a few good blows on Frieza. And we get a really fun moment where Frieza kind of feigns weakness, causing Dispo to leave himself open during an attack, which is a very Frieza move. Oh no, I'm so weak. Ha, I gotcha. <laughs> It's pretty awesome. It's it's kind of like deceptive and it, it does feel very Frieza. Uh, we basically get the Dispo is, you know, outspeeding Frieza. Um, but Frieza initially had said that Dispo's moves are too straightforward and easy to predict. And then Dispo starts moving faster. Uh, he uses this interesting key attack, Dispo against Frieza, that he calls his circle flash. And it it reminds me very much of uh, Gotenks' Galactic Donut. It's like a mm, ring of key yeah. that traps him into it and then explodes, uh, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, just neat little detail there. Yeah, I thought it was fun. I definitely... It, it's interesting because it, Dispo is, feels like one of those one-dimensional characters where his goal is to just... Do, I'm going to do the one thing. I'm just going to go faster. That's it. I'm not going to do anything else. I'm just... If I'm not winning, it's because I'm not going fast enough. Yeah, and uh, I think we basically get an exchange between them, a little dialogue where Frieza says that he'll help Universe 11. Uh, and 
if they use the super dragon balls to bring Frieza back. So Frieza's kind of doing a little turncoat thing here again, but Dispo turns it down. He's like, nah, dude, you're evil. I'm not interested. <laughs> I do like that he thought about it for a minute, though, where he's just like, uh, uh nah, you're pretty freaking evil, dude. I'm not working with you. <laughs> yeah, it was funny to see, like, well, he's thinking about it. Is he going to go with it? I don't know. We, we um, do, that, after the refusal of the offer, we do get Gohan kind of jumping in to help, and we get this kind of Gohan-Frieza alliance that is... Once again, pretty interesting. It's kind of interesting seeing who Frieza is willing to make alliances with, but um, their solution is pretty interesting. They decide that Dispo speed is just too much for them, and their best path to victory is to try and reduce the area that Dispo can move in to try and tamp down where he's able to go. And so we get Frieza putting on what I can only describe as a laser rock show, Yes. As, <laughs> as an arena, as Gohan goes kind of fisticuffs with Dispo in this laser rock arena. It's pretty cool. I Frieza doesn't have any like techniques per se that can kind of trap him in a small area. So he just kind of makes one up on the fly with these, you know, laser beams that he normally shoots out of his fingers. But it's very draining on Frieza. And so Gohan's kind of trying to finish the fight. He knocks Dispo into the laser light show a couple of times. And Dispo's struggling because he can't utilize or take advantage of his speed in here. Uh, however, as just as Gohan's about to capitalize and finish this fight off, Frieza's energy just goes kaput. He, and his laser light show kind of dissipates. Um, and then Dispo's kind of free to move in this moment. Yeah, and there's this kind of brief brief moment of panic until Gohan's able to kind of get his arms around Dispo and kind of lock him down. And we get this very like beginning of Dragon Ball Saiyan Saga where Gohan has a hold of the, the big bad guy and he asks his ally to kind of blast him off sort of thing. And so Gohan's able to hang on and kind of sacrifice himself to make sure that Dispo is removed from, from the match. Yeah, yeah, which is a, a big deal. So we've we've knocked out Dispo, we've lost Gohan, uh, but uh, I mean, I think even Beerus says to Gohan, hey, you know, that was that was smart. Like you did well out there and mm -hmm. you you guys were in we're gonna be in trouble if you didn't get Dispo out of the arena. I mean, you can't be mad at somebody who's sacrificing themselves to, to take a higher caliber fighter out of the fight. So it's, I really liked it. And it's, you know, it, I th do think it's another callback. I do think it's Goku and, and Raditz all over again. It's a good point. And I, I didn't make that connection, but yeah, it does kind of feel like that. And it, again, this is another callback that it, especially because it's one that I didn't even notice, but it's a callback that feels good because it's not, it's not in your face. It's not shoehorned in there. Um, but I, I think that pretty much wraps up that episode too. Yeah. I think that leads us into 125 majestic advent of the God, uh, advent of the God of destruction, Tapo, which this was kind of a fun, crazy reveal that I did not ever expect. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't expecting this one either. Um, we get a little bit of an exchange between, or we get to see, Kaioken, Super Saiyan Blue, Goku, and Super Saiyan Royal Blue, Vegeta, fighting against Jiren here. Um, and we get a, a little... Well, this is actually, I think, where Beerus compliments Gohan, and Go, Goku actually notices it, which I thought was pretty fun. Uh, but then 17 is busy fighting Top in this moment, and 
uh, top is basically like evading. We get a little bit of a beam struggle between 17 and top and top nearly pushes 17 off before Frieza attacks top from behind with this beam struggle going on. And Frieza's just basically doing his usual of torturing top, shooting him with multiple death beams from behind, and then basically hits top with a stronger beam, kind of sandwiching him between the two key blasts. Uh, did you have any notes about Frieza's dialogue or anything here? Oh, uh, like no, just something. Frieza never missing an opportunity to shoot a man in the back just brought me joy. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I can't really argue with you there. Uh, but this basically results in Top going nuclear to kind of save himself here. And he gets this destruction aura as he transforms into what appears to be a god of destruction, or at least something akin to that. And we get a little bit of uh, exposition stating that Top was a god of destruction in training in his universe. Yeah, and it, to me, it kind of sounded like he was um, basically a top candidate for being it and was in the process of training. But in this moment, he accepted that kind of offer, I guess, is the best way I can describe it. And so now has become a god of destruction. And so it, to me, it seemed like there was no turning back from this point. Once you accept that, you are a god of destruction, which I thought was pretty insane. Yeah, and I think the the important part for his character, even though we don't get a lot of that, is that he's a he's a pride trooper. He's a good guy. He's always fighting for good, and he kind of has to give that up to become a god of destruction. Uh, god of destruction doesn't necessarily see good and bad. They're just there to you know fill their role as a destroyer, uh, and so he's kind of giving up his ideals to become this god yeah you're you're substituting your ideals for kind of a greater power sort of thing your opinion doesn't matter anymore at this point and that's and i mean i get it it's he's fighting for the the his entire universe for existence in his eyes and so whatever sacrifice you yeah. need to make it's it needs to happen and so we get to see largely kind of what a destroyer would be like if they're in this this i guess tournament of power environment he's not well trained he's an early destroyer but we get to see destroyer power enter the battlefield yeah and so he he uses hakai he uses the destruction power fires a hakai orb at frieza and for frieza having encountered this right before the tournament thinks that he can control it and contain it uh however He's not able to. Uh, Top uh, appears to be stronger than whatever God gave them the Hakai energy previous. And we're, we're kind of led to believe that Frieza has been destroyed in this moment. Uh, and 17 basically takes on Top here, but Top's destruction aura prevents 17 from either hitting him or the key blast just kind of like de are destroyed as they touch his aura. So... 17's in a bit of a, a pickle here. He doesn't know what to do. Yeah, and that's kind of where the episode lets off is with kind of both of our Z fighters at this point kind of in really bad situations. Frieza's fate undetermined and and 17 unable to even put a scratch or a dent into uh, top. His Anything that touches him seems like it just evaporates. And that leads us into episode 126. Surpass even a god, Vegeta's life-risking blow. And... The episode begins with uh, 17 and Top continuing their battle. And I laughed a little bit because there was this moment where 17 noticed that sometimes rubble, rubble from the rocks would fall. And so 
he was like going to trap top under some rubble and it didn't work. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny where like everybody was excited that top was trapped under the rubble. And I was like, wait, can he just destroy that? And then he destroyed that. <laughs> I was like, when did that ever defeat anybody? Get out of here. Yeah, it was kind of silly, but basically Frieza, Frieza tries to like paralyze top, uh, top breaks free from that. And then I think that the fight between Goku, Vegeta, and Jiren kind of intersects with the fight with Top. And uh, Top and Jiren kind of make this deal to uh, have Top take over for uh, Vegeta. Top kind of knocks Vegeta out of the fight. And now it's Top versus Vegeta. And uh, we get kind of a cool Final Flash versus the Hakai here. Um, Freeze's kind of been beaten up. Seventeen's been beaten up, and so Vegeta's kind of the main combatant now against Top. Uh, and the Hakai orb for for Top kind of pushes through Vegeta's final flash. Uh, he doesn't get hit by it, however, and then it turns into a bit of a melee brawl where Top seems to have the advantage, and. It kind of moves forward with a, a key blast, uh, Top getting ready to knock Vegeta out. And then Vegeta kind of talks about how I fight for Balma, Trunks, and Bra. And then I like his line here where he says, Vegeta saying to Top, unlike you, I won't abandon all that, all that I have to play God. I thought that was great. I thought it's nice seeing Vegeta really tap into his pride as a source of strength and resolve and this is that moment where it's it's actually pushing him to that next level sort of thing and he's you know he's communicating that we see it all kind of come together yeah it's it's really good um vegeta basically powers up here from his emotions uh starts to beat up top taking the advantage of the fight uh he even goes so far as to have key envelop his fist and punch through the destruction energy that uh, top has emitting here. And <laughs> there's another really great line here as he does. So where he says only a failure abandons his principles and pride. <laughs> so, so these are just very key Vegeta moments in Vegeta dialogue. Um, but we even get a flashback as Vegeta begins to charge up one of his most powerful attacks, and it shows the explosion that Vegeta used as Majin Vegeta to attempt to destroy Majin Buu um, back in the Buu saga. Now, I have some complaints about this, though, because this, to me, is a bad nostalgia throwback. <laughs> this, okay, I'm glad you felt the same way, because I, oh, buddy. I did not like any of this. I'll start with issue one is that before he gets into this, this super kamikaze technique, um, mm -hmm. he actually kind of like, he powers up and he starts getting the advantage on top. And so in my head, I'm like, well, okay, so you now have the advantage in the fight and now you're going to use a self-sacrificing technique. This doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. Like if, if Vegeta was pushed back and in a corner and couldn't fight his way out, I absolutely buy it. Let's do it. Yep. But okay, even if that's the case, 
he performs this throwback technique, which was honestly a really kind of emotional moment, him putting everything on the line. He sacrifices himself. It's kind of a, a really heavy moment in Dragon Ball. Well, yeah. in Super, it's not. He's fine afterwards. <laughs> that's, I mean, there's multiple reasons why I don't like this, but that's the biggest reason why this is a terrible nostalgia throwback. And because, the reason he's fine is even worse. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's real bad. It's real bad. <laughs> well, he's strong enough now to survive it. It's like, that's not how that technique works. You No. Ugh. No. <laughs> it's a self-destruct explosion technique. Like, that makes no sense. Uh... And yeah, there's just not as much emotional weight here. Uh, this is a terrible way to, you know, throw back to the nostalgia of Dragon Ball Z. They, they've got some good ones in here. I'll give them that. This is not one of them. <laughs> like sometimes Super feels amazing and sometimes it feels like bad fanfic. And this feels like one of those moments. It absolutely does, which is really just a bummer. Um, but yeah, Vegeta explodes. He knocks Top out of the arena and Vegeta survives the blast. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's it's silly. Uh, I don't really have anything more about that episode, though. I think that wraps it up. Did you have anything else? Uh, no, I don't want to talk about anything else. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, episode 127, a looming obstacle, pinning hope on a final barrier. And uh, this is where Jiren begins whipping out his flaming power for everyone to see. Oh, man. And it is a huge flaming power. Let me tell you, uh, he basically powers up. He's fighting Goku, Vegeta and 17 at this point, who we kind of believe that Jiren's the last one standing in Universe 11. And these three are the last ones standing in Universe 7. And so he knocks them all away. Uh, 17 saves Vegeta and... Jiren is basically thwarting all of their combined attacks, even their key blasts, everything. And Goku and Vegeta charging, giving 17 a little bit of an opening. Um, there's a cool shot of Jiren kind of punching his way through these multiple shield layers that 17 has erected in front of him. Uh, really cool choreography here. I like it a lot. And <laughs> we eventually get where Jiren's getting ready to use his aura to blast all three of them away. Uh, and Vegeta, or I'm sorry, Frieza comes in with a kick to the face. <laughs> and we find that Frieza is still alive, apparently. Oh, my. Yeah, but that is short-lived because he gets ping-pong punched away by Jiren. <laughs> yeah, this is... It's interesting because... The beginning of this episode, I think there's kind of not the greatest animation, and I don't know. I'm I thought it was going to be better. There's a lot of awkward looking faces and poses and stuff while characters are looking at each other. I there was are. kind of glossing over a lot of this episode just because it, I have a lot of critiques of the animation on this one. We also get a lot of alternating like two frame exchanges where like it's I throw a punch, I defend a punch, going back and forth really quickly. I. Ugh. That's fair. Yeah, I kind of picked out like the parts that were good because there were some good sequences, but uh, there were some bad ones in this one, too. <laughs> we do get uh, 17 being asked what he would use the Super Dragon Balls for. And uh, he tells everyone a boat. And <laughs> this leads into G Jiren's backstory. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but what I got is Jiren's parents were slaughtered by bad boys and he was adopted and learned martial arts. 
His new family was attacked again, <laughs> and his new master killed, and his peers and others in his lands were conquered by tyranny. And that's where he learned that might is the only thing that matters. Well, when you say it that way, it just <laughs> sounds silly. <laughs> is, is, did, did I miss anything? Is that the whole story? Nope, nope. Jaren's backstory is silly. He's basically Batman. Uh, yep. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, I love Batman. I don't necessarily love Jiren. He's like He's Batman without, like, the interesting stuff. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, uh, so Jiren... Well, so his backstory was explained, and then... I, what is it? I think 17 says, so uh, that's what Jiren will use the Dragon Balls for. And I was just like, I didn't quite understand what he was going to use the Dragon Balls for. <laughs> I was trying... Like, man, I felt the same way. I was trying to figure it out, and... 17 basically says like, okay, so you're going to wish that none of that happened. Uh, and Jiren says, no, I, I basically just want to be, I want to be powerful, but I want to be more than powerful. Um, and that he, he wants to control even time itself, but he doesn't express what he, what he's going to do with the wish necessarily. I don't know if he's going to wish to become a God, if he's going to wish to become all knowing, all powerful. Mm -hmm. uh, he said he doesn't want to change what happened. So even though he says he wants to control time, so I don't know what he wants exactly. It's not very clear. <laughs> yeah. So then we get, uh, Jiren launches an immense attack after 17 talks some smack. 17 is forced to use or forced to sacrifice in quotes, himself to stop the attack and keep <sighs> Goku and Vegeta from being eliminated. There's a lot of like weird back and forth, saving each other, posturing, blah, blah, blah. And this is just another of that is kind of what it felt like. The problem with it, though, is that this similar, well, we'll, we'll find out, but this <laughs> similar to the uh, Vegeta one, the sacrifice is, you know, non-existent, basically. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's, I have, in order for me to buy into the sacrifice, something has to be sacrificed. Exactly. And uh, honestly, in the moment, this is this is cool. I like this moment. 17 sees Goku and Vegeta basically like worthless on the ground. 17 shields them both from Jiren's key blast and is pushing against the key blast to keep it at bay and then detonates using basically like his self-destruct mechanism to cancel out Jiren's key blast and save Vegeta and Goku. But the sacrifice doesn't stick, and it's super frustrating to me. This one, there's even... Okay, let's be real. It's just as bad as Vegeta's self-destruct. Why are all these people self-destructing but not dying? I, I don't understand what's happening. It makes no sense. Uh, it's it's very frustrating. But uh, that's that's probably my biggest complaint with these these last few episodes here. The rest of this stuff, especially moving forward, is going to get really good. Oh yeah, so I, let's let's just start getting into it. So we're gonna yeah. go into episode one twenty eight, which is gonna be the build up to the three episode eyegasm that's gonna happen here in just a minute. So anyway, oh, yeah. episode one twenty eight with noble pride to the end, Vegeta falls, and we get Vegeta stepping forward to fight Jiren, but he doesn't even have the energy to go Super Saiyan. His pride is basically what keeps him on his feet and in the fight. And despite Jiren completely overwhelming him. He's still fighting back, even though his attacks and his punches are doing basically nothing. Yeah, and you can see it. This is animated well in that they show Vegeta, you know, moving slowly. He looks like he looks like what you would expect a normal martial artist to look like, not like a super powered, you know, Saiyan or something. Uh, but he he's recalling the memories 
with Kaba, his memories with Balma and Trunks and Bra's birth. And he he continues to fight. He gets he gets pummeled by Jiren. He gets this black eye, but he just won't stop. Uh, Vegeta eventually like grabs Jiren's arm and tries to throw him and just gets knocked off uh, with, with just a flick of energy. And Jiren ends up punching Vegeta off the arena and Vegeta, his boot gets caught on one of the rocks, uh, kind of keeping him from getting eliminated. And he, again, thinks about Balma and Balma kind of like hollering at him and he climbs back up to his feet and he gets another great line here where he says, talking to Jiren, you wouldn't know what it means to fight for others with all your heart and soul as he charges up a final flash. And you can see the final flash is visibly small and weak and it does nothing to Jiren. But Vegeta continues to fight and uh, we get a line from Jiren here that I liked where he says, I must acknowledge the power of your pride, but it's over. Uh, but, you know, even Jiren says that he has to acknowledge Vegeta's pride, which I absolutely loved. Uh, and he he punches Vegeta out of the ring. And I, I do like that as he's falling and he's about to be kind of ringed out, uh, he, ap- he apologizes to Balma and Kaba. <laughs> no one else important in that category. Oh, God, I didn't notice that, but that's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, My two favorite people, Balma and Kaba. (laughs) No, you're right. Actually, so I have this line written out. I want to actually read this line. Oh, hell yeah. I liked it a lot. Um, But he says, uh, while he's being knocked out, he says, I can't keep my promise. I hate myself for that. In the end, I'm just one more failure. One more broken fool. Balma, Kaba. I'm sorry. And then he says, <laughs> and then he says, it's up to you, Kakarot. Don't you fail too. And that's when Vegeta gives his last shred of energy to Goku. Kaba, you were the son I always wanted. Thank you. <laughs> uh, honestly, we've probably gotten more touching moments with Kaba probably. and Vegeta than we have with Trunks. Absolutely, we have. <laughs> Oh, man. But there's another quick line here from Goku as he gets Vegeta's energy where he says, Vegeta, I'll get you that wish if it's the last thing I do. And as I love I love these interactions here. I'm I'm again a big Vegeta fanboy, so I'm going to gush about him a little bit. But uh, yeah, so I mean, I think that's probably the most important part of the episode or the most detailed part I'd like to get into. From here, we get Goku now has some uh, Vegeta energy, and he attempts to fight Jiren up in his blue form, but once again, Super Saiyan Blue's not enough, and Goku is severely damaged. Jiren beats Goku out of his blue form, but Goku continues to fight kind of like Vegeta in his base form. They, they've got nothing left. Right. And just before uh, Jiren can strike kind of the final blow, Goku thinks of all the people relying on him and slips back into Ultra Instinct once again, and Jiren can no longer land a blow on Goku. It's great. And it's it's prefaced by, the transformation is prefaced by Vegeta in the stands just yelling out Goku's name, just Kakarot! Mm-hmm. And I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, that leads us into this three-episode just beautifully animated choreographed set that ends the series and it starts with episode 129 transcendent limits 
surpassed, Ultra Instinct mastered. And we get the battle between Goku and Jiren intensifying. Most of the battle is just, well, awesome. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, What can you say here, right? Like, it's beautiful to watch. Uh, there's a Kamehameha that Goku uses similar to the one he uses against Kefla, mm-hmm. and, but Jiren defends against it with a key blast of his own. Um, Goku uses, turns the Kamehameha into like a shield to defend himself from Jiren's blast, which is also super cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's so many cool little details here. Did you have more about it, Dayton? I mean, I did laugh because during the fight, Vegeta kind of stands up and then tells everybody about his giant sane boner and about how they'll <laughs> never be defeated. Like he did did have a big monologue about that, and it definitely made me laugh. I wrote down some of the lines. I'm I want to read maybe just one or two of them, <laughs> but he he's basically telling off Belmod. He's like, mm-hmm. "You think that Goku can't, you know, beat Jiren? Uh, you basically said yourself that his Ultra Instinct is incomplete." Uh, but one of the direct lines here is. Uh, we say in warriors have shattered our limits time after time. And then he's speaking to Goku specifically and says, come on, Kakarot, find a way. I entrusted everything to you. My pride, my promise, everything. I won't tolerate failure. Trespass into the domain of the gods and use that might to conquer Jiren. Do it, Kakarot. And it's just <laughs> a beautiful speech. And this actually gets Goku to uh, power up here, and he begins to fight a little bit more even keel with Jiren. Yeah, I think even Whis mentions that Goku is starting to master Ultra Instinct and that all of his other concerns and thoughts are starting to evaporate away. And so we see Goku more or less starting to come into full form as this fight starts raging on. Yeah, uh, Goku even, as Whis is talking about that, Goku closes his eyes and he's just fully focused on the fight, but just kind of letting go at the same time. And there's a really cool small key blast clash in the middle of the fight, but eventually Goku gets pushed to a small rock that's still kind of floating in the middle of nowhere. And Jiren rains down these shockwave punches, uh, just a flurry of blows that Goku is just barely managing to shield himself from while the ground beneath him is being destroyed and shrunk smaller and smaller. Yeah, and I think they even mentioned that Goku not only has to defend himself from these attacks, he has to defend the part of the arena that he's on. And so it's really kind of giving evidence to the the level that Goku's starting to get to. Yeah, and eventually we see these kind of sparks in, in between the punches. And the Universe 7 is expressing their concern, and Beerus has a great line here where he says, No more talk. Just shut your mouths and watch. And Beerus knows exactly what's going on, where while Goku is basically beginning to counter-strike these punches with punches of his own, and he eventually lands this big attack in Jiren's gut as the ground beneath him is just barely big enough for him to stand on, and he stops Jiren's assault. And this is where the animation gets incredible. And Vegeta, we get a shot of Vegeta grinning here, and Jiren charges up one more key blast saying something about Goku being able to defend himself. Um, but Jiren's ready to knock Goku out of the arena. And Goku's gathering power. We get to see his hair change. And then the key blast that Jiren fires out, this giant key ball, disappears in a streak of light. 
And we get to see Goku leap past Jiren, grabbing the Key Blast, just covered in this white light. And we kind of get the impression that something's changed in Goku here. Yeah, and as we see kind of the the Key Blast that Goku dismissed, Beerus gives what I think is a very well-delivered voice acting line where he gives the announcement of Goku's full autonomous ultra instinct. And I thought that was delivered very, very well. It's so good. Uh, We basically see Goku like just crush this ball and we get to see Goku's, uh, as uh, Beerus says that, we get to see Goku's hair, like the light dissipates from his body and his hair is changed to the silver white color. And I wrote down Beerus's line here too, because I loved it as well. Uh, where he's he's just so excited. He initially says, Weiss, Goku's done it, hasn't he? He's finally achieved it. Weiss just says, yes. And he says, it's astounding. The mortal really is something. Look at that brilliant form. There can be no doubt. This is the true power, complete in all of its majesty. This is autonomous ultra instinct. And like you said, it's so good. The voice actor delivers it incredibly well, and it's just an awesome beat to end the episode on. Oh, God. Yeah, it's... So let's end that episode and move into episode 130, which is an unprecedented super showdown, the ultimate survival battle. And uh, we get to see that Goku's speed and power, something that Goku was missing earlier with Alter Instinct, his power, have increased dramatically since the first time he used Ultra Instinct, and his attacks seem to be kind of hitting home on Jiren and actually dealing damage, and kind of being pushed back by this kind of sudden outburst of just sheer force, we see that Jiren can like no longer stand being overpowered, that he's used to being kind of the, the big dog, the big guy in campus, and his shirt can no longer contain his packs, <laughs> and he bursts out of it, going to a whole new level. I think I actually made a note in here somewhere that uh, as Goku turns Mastered Ultra Instinct, his shirt disappears. And we all know in Dragon Ball that when your shirt comes off, that means you're at a new level. Oh, shit. He's serious now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I thought that was pretty amazing, too. But the the choreography here is incredible. Uh, Jiren basically can't land a punch. He seems angry. Goku's just calm and dodging everything. There's a really cool sequence where Goku grabs Jiren's arm as Jiren's trying to punch. And then Goku turns it into a back kick and knocks Jiren away. Beautiful martial arts there. It's so good. It's one of those things where just... I didn't take very good notes on this because I was just kind of leaning back and watching it, kind of avoiding my homework sort of thing and just enjoying the <laughs> animation because it's these last three episodes are just phenomenal. I have basically no critiques of any of the choreography or animation. It's just this is Dragon Ball fighting in its purest form, and it looks incredible. Yeah, it's it's perfect. And this is this is some of the best fight scenes that Dragon Ball, the entire series has to offer, in my opinion. Um, But with Jiren now powering up with his uh, shirtless form, he's uh, he, he actually beats Goku in a beam struggle. And the melee skirmish kind of continues where Jiren's uh, putting up a pretty good fight now. When when Goku first got the form, Goku was clearly on top. Um, but it's a little bit more even keel here. And 
Krillin actually gives Goku a little bit of a pep talk, which kind of gets Goku to uh, uh, kind of double his efforts a little bit. Um, and there's an exchange between Jiren and Goku where Jiren says, uh, because Goku keeps just getting back up, and Jiren says, how do you stand up no matter how many times you fall? Tell me, Goku. And Goku says to him, because Vegeta and 17 and all the others gave everything they had so I could keep going. If I do quit, I betray that trust and I refuse to let all of them down. It's a great exchange, kind of showing the difference between these two characters. Well, don't worry about that because I have the rebuttal. Because Jiren oh. kind of scowls back and he says, to hell with your friendship, to hell with your trust. Putting faith in such things would mean denying all that I've witnessed in my life up until now. I know better than to believe in that kind of so-called strength. And now and I know how easily it's ripped away. I'll show you. And he blasts just this colossal key blast up at the bleachers, attempting to eliminate all of the bystanders. Yeah, he's, he's going to blast. I mean, essentially trying to hurt Goku by hurting his friends because... As we learned in Jiren's very fleshed out backstory, he basically lost a lot of his friends, his master, and even the friends that he had remaining weren't willing to continue fighting with him. Uh, and so Jiren doesn't believe in trust, doesn't believe in leaning on others, whereas that's kind of how Goku's gotten to where he is right now. Mm -hmm. uh, but Goku goes over and knocks the blast away and this is where we get one of the coolest scenes in the show where Goku just gets super angry and launches into this beautifully animated punch right to Jiren's face. Yeah, we get just this. I mean, you don't see like pissed off Goku very often and we see it in full form at this point. And just Goku launches this incredibly rage filled attack and it ends with what I think is a one of Shemmel's greatest Kamehameha screams that I've heard in a long time where it's just this kind of uh, pure rage, just kind of untamed, just unbridled fury. And I love it. It's really good. Yeah. Shemmel does a great job here. And we kind of, we get this exchange between Goku and Jiren um, kind of continuing the fight. Uh, Goku delivers this really devastating punch to Jiren by the end of it. And uh, the, let's see, the whole sequence is just beautiful. They, they basically end up like sliding down the wall, uh, fighting in between the walls. And Goku kind of almost finishing Jiren at this point, readies a key blast to knock him off the edge. And that's when Goku's body kind of gives up the ghost and, uh, begins to we basically see him cough up blood and he drops out of the form yeah this was very similar to what we had seen um when goku was fighting hit and the stress of super saiyan blue plus kaioken kind of caught up to him right channeling divine key through the form of ultra instinct is kind of what it sounds like is incredibly immensely stressful in the body and after just all this fighting and all of this just pushing his body to the limit time and time again, it kind of catches up to Goku and he collapses to the ground. And at this point, when Goku is basically just on the verge of victory, it looks like he's about to be defeated. Yeah, 
Yeah, Jiren basically readies a, a key blast to finish off Goku, and the episode more or less ends with Frieza saving Goku with a key blast of his own. Uh, Jiren, sorry, Jiren actually does blast Goku off the edge, but Frieza kind of knocks Goku back into the arena, and we get to see both Frieza is still up and. 17 is alive. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of <clears throat> unfortunate because it made his previous sacrifice worthless. And so, yeah. yeah, we get 17 and Frieza revealing themselves. And that ends that episode, leading us into the final episode, episode 131, a miraculous conclusion. Farewell, Goku, until the day we meet again. Yeah, so this basically starts with Jiren now facing off with 17 and Frieza. Uh, Frieza kind of managing to hold his own against Jiren at first because Jiren's kind of been beaten up by Goku. Um, but as Frieza taunts Jiren, Jiren basically steps onto Frieza's tail and turns him into a human punching bag <laughs> and just pommels him. Uh did you have anything about Frieza's dialogue there? Because there's oh, some good I, stuff I was just it. cracking up because Frieza couldn't keep his mouth shut, and that kind of prompted <laughs> Jiren to level up his game. And so Frieza is Frieza's own worst enemy at this point. Yeah, he kind of screwed himself over there a little I bit. I love it. So, me too. It was great. Uh, 17 basically comes to Frieza's aid, and Tackle grabs Jiren off of him, um, kind of blasting him inside of an energy shield with them together. Uh, and Jiren's actually brought to his knees in this moment. Yeah, once again, 17 does a I'm going to sacrifice myself thing and doesn't really sacrifice himself. <laughs> so frustrating. I, I love 17, by the way, but it's so frustrating that the sacrifices don't have any meaning. Yeah, exactly. So after being dropped to his knees, we get Top actually yelling out, kind of confirming his faith in Jiren and kind of letting Jiren know that they had been establishing a relationship at some point and that he believes in his ultimate power and kind of giving Jiren a little bit of a revitalization in his kind of resolve as a warrior. And we get to see Jiren kind of stand back up and he launches just a massive wave of key towards Frieza and 17 that appears like it's going to basically overwhelm them. And that's when we get Goku kind of stepping back forward, kind of, well, definitely beat up and, looking worse for wear, but he's able to kind of pitch in and help with the battle at this point. Yeah. Frieza and 17 kind of have their energy used as shields holding this key blast at bay. We got a really cool shot of Frieza in his golden form as his energy is depleted and his golden form just kind of wipes away from his body. Uh, and then Goku jumps in to bolster the shield and they they begin to form a plan where they say that Goku and Frieza are going to be the point men, while Seventeen is kind of their support with his unlimited energy. And uh, there's a little exchange between Goku and Frieza that's really good here, where Frieza's asking Goku if he remembers his promise, and Goku's like, "Frieza, you know honestly better than anybody that I I'm true to my <laughs> word." And it's great. Again, these guys giving this like great frenemies mm. moment here. It's like, can I trust you? It's like, you know, you can trust me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And Frieza's well aware. And Frieza, I think, even says something to the effect of, I hate that naivety about you, but at least I know that you're going to keep your word. <laughs> and then I think we get into one of the 
best Dragon Ball animated combo fighting choreography, whatever you want to freaking call it, sequences ever with some badass Goku and Frieza tag team combo against Jiren. Yeah, incredible music, incredible animation, incredible everything. Probably five minutes of some of the best Dragon Ball has to offer. And it starts off with freezing Goku uh, just diving in, doing a really good combo attack against Jiren. I have a note in here that Vegeta's face as Goku and Frieza are working together is priceless. <laughs> He's just like, what the fuck is happening right now? <laughs> oh, geez. Yeah, we get like, like Frieza yelling out, like, go ahead and give me a boost. And like, it's it's the kind of teamwork that's not just they're fighting the same guy. They're actually working together. Yes. So th basically, they uh, 17 times a perfectly timed key blast around Goku and Frieza. They knock Jiren up to this pillar and then Jiren uh, kind of bashes them into the pillar and leaps towards 17 to take 17 out. And that's the moment that Dayton's talking about here where Frieza tells Goku, like, I think he says something like, hey, monkey, throw me. <laughs> And Goku like gives him an alley oop and launches Frieza at uh, at Jiren, where J Frieza's basically grabbed onto Jiren and getting ready to knock them both out of the arena. And we get a moment where Frieza's ready to sacrifice himself to take Jiren out, but F Jiren's able to kind of grab debris and barely keep himself kind of in the fight. And that's where Goku jumps in, and we kind of get this tag team one-two Frieza Goku both kind of grabbing onto Jiren and just forcing him out of the match, sacrificing both of themselves in the fight. Yeah, and the visuals. Oh my God, the visuals. The The scene where Goku is diving in to help Frieza shows Goku kind of fading in and out of Super Saiyan because he doesn't have enough energy to fully go into the transformation. And then the final shot of Super Saiyan Goku and Frieza pushing uh jiren together and just shouting is ingrained in my memory forever <laughs> it's beautiful it's absolutely fan i have no critiques of this animation choreography this is it's everything about this is so fantastic and it's i don't know it's, it's a lot of fun too but it's also it's very quick paced it's action-packed it's well animated yeah. right up to the very end and uh i think speaking of the very end with Jiren eliminated, Goku and Frieza eliminated, that leaves just Android 17 standing alone at the end of the Tournament of Power. Yeah, so 17 is the winner of the Tournament of Power. Uh, Universe 11 is eliminated, with Goku telling Jiren that he'd like to fight him again sometime. And we get... The Super Dragon Balls are presented for the wish where Super Shenron is summoned and 17 changes his mind at the last minute, apparently, and wishes for all of the universes that were eliminated to be brought back. Yep. And it was at that moment I realized that I'm pretty sure the Namekians from Universe 6 are going to regret fusing their entire planet <laughs> into two people. You know, I, hmm, is it undoable? I don't think that they've ever shown it being undoable. <laughs> you can't go back. <laughs> I mean, I guess they're going to be two very lonely Namekians. I, I mean, then again, like when you can make wishes, I guess everything is reversible. 
That's a good point. They probably got <laughs> Dragon Balls somewhere, right? That's right? true. Well, I mean, I bet the two of them could make some hella Dragon Balls. Yeah, maybe. I know that, well, yeah. yeah. They probably have a way of undoing it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, 17, he wishes for all the universes back. Everyone's back to, you know, being existent. And I think from there, we kind of go into this little outro, I guess is the best way to put it, where they play kind of the intro music and they go through kind of the what everyone's doing at this point. So the universe is back to maintaining peace. We see that Bulma actually purchased 17, uh, probably way too much boat, but he got his boat at the end of it all. It's a lot um, of boat. It's a lot of boat. Um, and we get some... Goku and Vegeta like continuing to train and push each other and it's I mean it's a pretty Dragon Ball ending. Yeah, yeah, we get to see uh we get to see baby Bra, we get to see Frieza has been resurrected by Whis and is now back with his Frieza force in Universe 7 and we end the the last shot more or less is Goku and Vegeta doing their training but in Super Saiyan Blue and in a similar wasteland to what we saw them fight in the Saiyan Saga yep. and even giving their signature poses that they gave in the Saiyan Saga. So it's this one's a little bit of a ham-fisted nostalgia throwback, but I'll give it to them. I still liked seeing them do those poses. It's kind of the last shot of them for for this season or for God knows how long. So I'm fine yeah. with it. Like... As far as I'm concerned, Dragon Ball Super is kind of a throwback anyway, so it is. So I like it, but um, I won't go into too much of what I think about this last third because I think it's pretty obvious. I gushed about it uh, nonstop. The last three episodes are absolutely fantastic. The animation and choreography are top notch. I I can't say enough good things about it. Yeah, yeah, I I feel the same. I I think. Probably our biggest complaints between both Dayton and I are the fact that there are a few sacrifices that just don't feel right or a few throwbacks that feel less weighty, less emotional weight. But beyond that, and beyond the fact that Jiren has no personality, the rest of this in the Tournament of Power is fantastic. Mm. There's excellent themes throughout about trust and about uh, about teamwork. And I think that they really hit those home uh, I will say the only that's probably the only good thing about Jiren is that Jiren is a good foil or a good analog to show what it's like when you don't have trust or don't have friends who will back you up. Uh, and he, he's a good comparison to show between him and Goku in that way. Yeah, it's especially because we we don't spend a lot of time with Jiren, it feels like, or at least we don't really get into his backstory. So we don't understand Jiren super well. So I think you're right. The best we can draw from Jiren is that it's his selfishness is kind of his downfall. I, you could say it's also maybe how he got to where he was by doing whatever he could to get stronger, but it wasn't enough. It's that the power of friendship is more powerful. <laughs> and it's a little corny, but it's, it's very Dragon Ball and it feels it's nice when Dragon Ball can run a theme through one of its story arcs. I will say that Dragon Ball Super in a lot of ways didn't stick to very consistent themes in some of its uh, story arcs. Right, so yeah. I'm glad that they did in the final arc with the Tournament of Power. I, I appreciate that. But I think that's pretty much wrapping up what we have to say about the Tournament of Power. Dayton, did you have anything else that you wanted to, to discuss? Oh, geez. Um, well, 
I think at this point, uh, maybe I should save uh, what I might want to discuss for the next episode we're thinking about. Absolutely. So I've got a few things to go out on here. I mean, that that's pretty much it for this episode of Instant Transmission, where we discuss everything Dragon Ball. This has been your host, Todd. And Dayton. And thank you guys for joining us as we wrap up this Tournament of Power arc and come to the end of Dragon Ball Super. It really feels kind of crazy to say that, doesn't it, Dayton? It feels like this show was just about Dragon Ball Super, so the idea of moving on is kind of crazy to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I I think I feel the same way. It, it feels like it's been a long time since we've started this run of Super. Uh, I think that we both learned a lot about Super's good and bad points having gone through it again. With that said, join us next time for what Dayton mentioned as we do a full review of Dragon Ball Super in its entirety. We'll discuss each arc, the good, the bad, and how Dragon Ball Super has impacted the franchise. What are our broad thoughts on Dragon Ball Super as a complete series? Find out next time. And to all our Dragon Ball fans, stay safe out there and remember to keep rocking the dragon. Hurry up and punch me, you beautiful sane bastard. Just look at that jawline. <laughs>